Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, and this month, we got a couple of very big topics to talk about. Primarily, um, <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first ever official Marvel Studios TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're confused by that, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Netflix Defender series, you know, Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones, and all of that, were technically canon to the MCU, but <laughs> they were not produced by Kevin Feige's Marvel Studios. Yeah. They were produced by a sister company called Marvel Television, run by Jeff Loeb. Now, while they, are, they technically take place in the same universe, they never kind of feature the kind of connectivity yeah. to the main storylines in, in the MCU movies, for example. Yes, I know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. touched upon it here and there, but it, they were more trying to, you know, it, they were very loose connections. Uh, they were trying to do what they could to yeah. connect themselves to the films. Whereas, you know, with WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki and all of that, these are main characters from the MCU that tie directly into movies. Some of them even setting up future films. Mm-hmm. Like uh, WandaVision, for example, might be setting up Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, etc. Yep. etc. So that will be our main topic. But we'll also be talking about a little indie film called Saint Maud, uh, one of the latest uh, examples of A24's artful horror. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, the feature directorial debut of Rose Clark. Uh, stellar. Um, I, 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 think, I think we both really, really loved it and yeah. we'll get into it soon. Um, small other topics later that we're going to be talking about. Studio Ghibli's first ever 3D animation, Eowyn uh, and the Witch, how yeah. did that go? Um, this was... Uh, t- first ever TV adaptation mm-hmm. called The Watch uh, coming out of BBC. Uh, we got Space Sweepers coming out of South Korea. Uh, Superman and Lois, uh, the CW versus uh, latest DC TV show. How did that go? I watched the pilot. I'll let you know. Uh, meanwhile, Isa also has bringing back his anime corner for a rather stacked edition. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that before we begin. Uh, I think this particular season, right? So we are in, we are in the winter season at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a lot of like heavy hitters coming back with uh, additional seasons. So we'll be talking a bit about like Attack on Titans final season, which is uh, it's got a lot of hype, a lot of stuff that we've covered before. ReZero had a new season, mm-hmm. uh, Slime has a new season, Doctor Stone is back, Beastars season two, and and so on and so forth. I think we'll also be diving deeper into what is a fairly bold move by the guys at Cells at Work, uh, yes. where they're back with two sequels, uh, one mm-hmm. continuing the main storyline. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Cells at Work Season 2, and as well as Cells at Work, uh, Code Black, uh, which is a slightly different take, uh, tonally and uh, just concept- conceptually the same, but tonally different, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm enjoying quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'll be talking about two animes that have taken uh, really long um, hiatus, uh, so much so that it precede- the, the earlier seasons precede genre equality, so I've never actually recommended them, but they've recently come back. Um, some strong well, well one stronger than ever the other one not as much it, because it requires a lot of like background knowledge for the two seasons prior yes uh, and then I'll be giving out some uh, very strong recommendations for one or two new series and some um, fair recommendations for you know easy watching kind of like guilty pleasure stuff mm-hmm. so oh, yeah all in all like there's uh, wow how many is that there? there's more than 10 uh kind of things that I'm going to be talking about later. 
Nice, yeah. Um, a stacked return to anime, spe- um, specifically after COVID, you know, halted a lot of productions. Mm, yeah. Um, so we are back with the winter season. It's going to be a lot to delve into. We'll get into that just a bit later. But let's kick it off with uh, probably the biggest show of the year so far. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's coming out of Disney+. Plus. It is WandaVision. As I mentioned, not the first TV show to be set in MCU continuity, despite what Kevin Feige may tell you. Um, <laughs> But it is the first to be produced by Marvel Studios under his direction. Yep. So, as I said, unlike Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Agent Carter, um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, uh, Punisher, uh, Runaways, you know, uh, over in the Hulu-verse, you know, those are produced by a separate Marvel TV division. Um, and this is very, very different from the kind of more grounded take that Netflix has mm-hmm. or the more uh, comic booky take that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has. Um, this particular show uh, is the first installment of Phase 4 yep. and the most different uh, Marvel property, that, uh, at least coming out of the MCU, that has have ever happened. But, uh, what a sheer oddity, um, <laughs> utterly charming um, sublimely daring effort that Wonder Vision is. Yes. Uh, the series isn't a superhero adventure so much as it is a <laughs> wonderful love letter to a variety of vintage sitcoms throughout the decades, mm-hmm. uh, as well as later on, once the sitcom uh, homages have passed, uh, a really affecting uh, deep dive into the cornucopia of trauma that Wonder Vision, uh, or at least Wonder Maximoff, has has experienced throughout uh, her, her MCU stints, dating all the way back from Age of Ultron yep. uh, all the way till now. Um, these particular traumas have been glossed over in the films, particularly because there isn't much time in you know, team-up movies to really delve deep into what her character is feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where the show comes in, but you know, it does it in a very sly, uh, different way. <laughs> uh, so the series, it finds Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen, and Vision, uh, played by Paul, Paul Bettany, living a domestic life in a suburban town of Westview um, trying to hide their powers. And and every episode goes forward in time, offering a pitch-perfect homages uh, to, to, to sitcoms from the 50s, uh, and then the 60s, and then the 70s, and then the 80s, and then the 90s, and then the 2000s, and so on. Um, you know, it, it's premiering uh, an inventive, uh, I guess, premiering with an inventive experiment like this yeah. ran a huge risk of alienating um, MCU fans who want just MCU things. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> with, with with other shows down the pipeline, let's say Falcon and the Soldier and Loki, it is not hard to imagine what they will look and feel like because we have seen nearly two dozen movies shepherded by Feige, mm-hmm. um, and we have kind of grown used to the rhythms and tones uh, and roughly the level of execution in each of them. Um, yes, there are differentiating features in, in the MCU films, yeah. but for the most part, they do follow a kind of formula that we've gotten used to. Um, but instead of kicking things off with an action-packed hero adventure that, say, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right, would have been an easier transition for Marvel fans, yeah. WandaVision gets to demonstrate how elastic the MCU can be, mm-hmm. um, especially after Endgame may have taken the original MCU formula as far as it can logically go. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. demonstrating that these characters are more versatile than they appeared to be is a very clever idea. Yeah. Um, and, and when that versatility is wrapped in a meta love letter to its new medium uh, and to shows that I, I dearly adore, 
Um, I would say I adore more than superhero stuff. I mean, all the better. I mean, mm-hmm. again, it's a, it's a big risk. And I, for one, embrace the boldness of it and the brilliant execution of it. Um, what what do you think about this this daring approach to present? <laughs> uh, at, at least to to throw you know, I I I don't want to say like all comic book fans or all superhero movie fans are, are a little, uh, I I live in their little bubble. Yeah, but I would say that they are perhaps you know not super into stuff like indie films or classic sitcoms or or prestige dramas and things like that. You know, um, what 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 do you think about their their approach? Here? And and you think it alienated a a, a core fan base? Oh, um, okay, okay. There's a fair bit to, to chew on uh, for that. Uh, when they first announced WandaVision, right, immediately what came to my mind is like, oh, are they going to try do, uh, and do something like they did with, um, is it Tom King's run, The Visions? Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Tom King's run of The Visions, which I absolutely enjoyed, right? Uh, mm. So for those of you that, that um, haven't read that, uh, basically Vision creates his own family, uh, his entire synthesoid family, uh, with his wife, Virginia, son Vin, and Viv, who eventually becomes a member of um, uh, the Young Avengers. Uh, and then, you know, just like how they're, uh, how that plays out as them trying to be a normal family in, in kind of like uh, the suburbs, right? So yep. that immediately came to mind. I think what we got in the end for WandaVision was still surprising, right? Despite the fact that, you know, there's something to kind of draw on from the visions and, and what they did there. Right. Um, it's a bit it's a bit of house of m also yeah exactly oh yeah exactly right like so yeah. that they, they are it's not something that hasn't been done but it's definitely a very interesting take on the way that they went about doing it right mm-hmm. uh we discover for the first time that wanda is extremely um fond of of sitcoms because of her childhood um mm-hmm. Which is something that I've never, you know, kind of come across. I don't think any of the movies dealt with that. I don't think any of the comics ever dealt with that. And I thought that was a very, like, interesting way of going about it. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's extremely ambitious. I think that for the first time in a while, um, the MCU isn't taking itself too seriously. Uh, and being and being experimental with this whole thing too, yeah, which is unusual. For yeah, them. which is which is unusual for them. And I think like it makes it, it lends a lot of credence to. Uh, what Feige said, right? That going into phase four with all these new new titles coming up, that it's going to be a lot more personal instead of like, you know, being this large scale epic slash cosmic battles. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, right? Despite the fact that it's a, a breezy, easy way to watch everything. Like it's so dense in terms of uh, what WandaVision and the eight episodes that we've got so far actually hold. Yeah. Um, for the continuity of the MCU, right? They're completely shaking things up in a very novel way and I just like it's I think it's the best thing we've got right now out of, of comic book like media yeah. um, easily hands down right just because they've decided to do it in such a novel way that's fun mm. uh, and I think relatable as well right like who doesn't love sitcoms really even if you are a hardcore comic book fan right like at some point in time in your life you know a sitcom or another has you know kind of touched your life right uh, mm-hmm. on tv or on, on network tv whatever it may be and mm-hmm. they've done such a good job in kind of capturing um the best of each era of sitcoms yep uh you know so there's always i i feel like in 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 the whole season itself right there are so many touch points for people who are just coming into marvel um mm. series to kind of like feel like oh okay you know like this isn't you uh this doesn't carry necessarily the burden of three entire phases of marvel movies not until its last half but yes yeah, yeah. you know i mean and, and you you can dive into that fairly easily 
right? And then retroactively go and watch the movies if you've never done any of that, right? Mm, Because like so much hype is coming about and I think like with the launch of Disney Plus in Singapore um, just just this week, especially, you know, I'm I'm guessing tons of people are are curious and have have checked out WandaVision. Definitely, Um, you know. So is it alienating? Well, okay. No. Yeah, I, I, I agree, no to most fans. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you go over to IMDb or if you go over to Rotten Tomatoes, you will see it is a critically acclaimed show. Probably the most critically acclaimed of all the Marvel TV shows. Yeah. Uh, at least universally beloved because of his daringness and experimental formatting. Mm. Uh, that's in the critic side. You then you know there's, <laughs> there's, there's always the flip side. You know, you gotta yeah. click on you gotta click on the audience scores. You know, or over on IMDb or Metacritic or, or or Rotten Tomatoes, and you will see that this show is just burdened with terrible reviews of people who just don't like what is they're going for la, and, yeah. and this is not what they were expecting you, you know what i mean so that's what i mean by alienating like you know it may have gained right. some new fans because right, of right, his right. artsiness yeah. but it may have alienated like i guess the more simple straightforward i want a boom boom bang bang kind of kind of well like people who want that you just hold on to their pants because they're definitely going to get that uh with mm. winter soldier and and um with falcon and winter soldier and, and right. Loki, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, like, it's it's not as if Marvel is going to re... is going to convert all of their stuff to this, right? Mm-hmm. And if if any of these people who are complaining are complaining because it's not, like, true to the comic books or it's not comic book enough, then they seriously need to read more comics. Well, it, no, I think the people complaining are not comic book fans. They're, like, MCU fans. Like, right, so... Accustomed, uh, and, and been conditioned, uh, fairly or unfairly, by the you know, 20 plus movies that have come so far. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's, it's a fair criticism if that's all you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for, for, for someone, well, for us, right, having read the stranger things that have come out of Marvel mm. over the years, right? Like, this is, this is like a straight shoe horn for, for what, um, comic book media should be like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, every once in a while, you should get something a little strange maybe a little difficult to understand because it's so layered, right? Mm. Uh, much like we got in Legion, for example, you know? Mm. Um, uh, agreed, agreed, yeah. I mean, a lot of people complaining would not enjoy Legion. Yeah, for sure, saying, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, honestly, if you don't feel it's for you, then don't watch it. it, it I don't think it's as consequential to mm-hmm. your enjoyment of the entire MCU for you to trash it that badly. Yeah, I mean, it affects the new... This WandaVision affects the new Spider-Man movie coming up and affects yep. the new Doctor Strange movie coming up. Uh, but I suppose you could just read a wiki. Exactly. If you don't like it, yeah. Exactly, right? Like, and in all honesty, like, all the revelations just came out this week with, with episode 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, you could watch episode 8 and be, like, completely satisfied and, and skip all the preamble with, with the sitcom stuff if you really weren't comfortable with that. Mm. Um, I do feel that you know, interspersed between the broadcast segments and the real life segments, uh, there, there's a good balance between the two, right? Like I, mm. in, oh, I, I, I'm so happy Kat Dennings is back. Mm. Uh, her her character is amazing. I really, really enjoy Jimmy Woo's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really hoping they do do the spinoff where he does the X Files thing. I, I think that's mm. gonna be amazing. And yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I I do have to say that like I feel like Wonder Vision, uh, is sort of like uh, skewing a bit 
uh, as a backdoor pilot to an Agents of Sword show, mm. uh, where you know it's similar to Agents of Shield. I mean, come to think of it, you know, <laughs> where, where the first season premiered and they had to kind of overhaul a corrupt organization. Yeah, you know, uh, under the under new leadership, I'm assuming you know Monica, Darcy, and 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 Jimmy Woo are like the core of that show. Yeah. Um, that nothing has been announced, but it seems fairly obvious that they are trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that that's good for the real life stuff, right? You mm -hmm. know? Um, but you know, if if you don't like um it, it, i think the show at least in the beginning it demands affection for old tv shows from its audience which yeah. which some may not have you know if you yeah. okay. if if you don't um smile at wonders kind of reality bending facsimiles of of the dick van dyke show <laughs> or bewitched or the brady bunch or growing pains or full house which you know funny enough you know start her um, Elizabeth Olsen's uh, twin sisters. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, Malcolm in the Middle, <laughs> uh, Modern Family, uh, and and among others, you know, you you may have an issue with the show's uh, pace and lack of action. Me, on the other hand, you know, I I loved uh, every second of the sitcomness. Yeah. Right. You know, like right down to its new opening credits each episode. Oh, um, to its its uh, fake commercials, kind of slyly winking at <laughs> at, at, at um abstract representations of Wanda's trauma, mm -hmm. um, even down to its 20-minute runtime, you know, fitting with the format. Um, while many genre shows have put characters in TV universes before, this isn't exactly new for genre shows, you know. Yeah. Shows like Supernatural or, or Legends of Tomorrow, mm -hmm. those have poked fun at tropes and skimmed the surface of, of shows for laughs, you know, when they put their characters into other shows. WandaVision, though, is not making fun of sitcoms. In nope. the same way that Legends of Tomorrow made fun of like Downton Abbey and Friends and Star Trek that way, right? Yeah. It is an embrace of sitcoms. It perfectly mimics the tone, look, wardrobe, comedy styles of the various eras they're paying tribute to. Like those episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, right? Like, like which I love. We, we talked about it a few episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you know, where, where they were stuck in Friends or Star Trek. Like they were fun, but they don't work as an episode of Friends or Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Like it, you, you couldn't the entire episode couldn't have just been the Star Trek parody, you know, like it, it, it didn't work like it skimmed the surface for tropes and they made fun yeah, of it. Yeah. With WandaVision, these episodes actually work as sitcoms taken on their own. You know, if you want to ignore the mystery, if you want to ignore the creepy Twilight Zone moments, like <laughs> these episodes are very solid, straight up sitcom episodes that can be enjoyed on its own sitcom merits. Yeah. Uh, and I can't express what an accomplishment this is. To do that, to tie in with the MCU and further expand the law as well, mm -hmm. it's very good. And I think Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bethany get, get to show more life and charm and vibrancy and sheer comedic chops yeah. uh, and, and dramatic acting, uh, in fact, also, than they ever have in the half a dozen movies they've been in. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they are I so agree. darn likable. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. The chemistry between them is is incredible, right? And then just keeping in mind that they're playing two sort of like very outsider characters in in Wanda and Vision as well. Yeah. Uh, but some of the moments are just like incredible. I mean, okay, uh, for me, the the most potent moment was when, um, she's having that flashback and they're sitting in her room in the mm. Avengers, compound. I don't think it's tower. It should be compound by then. Yeah. Um, you know, and and they're talking about grief, right? Like some powerful, powerful stuff coming out of that. And you know, I'm I'm glad that we got to see that side of that conversation, right? Like that's not something that you necessarily have time for, you know, in the limited runtime of of uh, uh, a proper like MCU Avengers movie. Mm, yes, you know, like they get to show dramatic chops that, mm -hmm. frankly, they were never 
called upon yeah. to do in the MCU films. At, at least not called upon, like maybe somewhat, <laughs> like you know, in the five minutes of screen time they had. Yeah, you know, yeah. but like never so deep, lah. And 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 even then, you know, in on the flip side, in the initial episodes, they're so likable and goofy that that you know that when Wonder sitcom reality fractures. The, the heartbreak is even more heartbreaking because mm-hmm. you know you you want them to have this happily ever after in this in this world where 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 problems are solved in 20 minutes you know it's easy to see why someone with uh the history of Wanda would find so much solace in the escapism of sitcoms you know yeah. it's a world with with easy domestic problems resolved neatly in 20 minutes the next episode begins and you know it's you're starting fresh you know yeah. you know um but yeah but like you said on the flip side also in Bethany are also stunning dramatic actors as well they mm-hmm. play grief and confusion and trauma very deftly mm. um i think bethany in the early episodes is a charming sitcom lead you yeah. could easily see him as as the dick van dyke type <laughs> you know um meanwhile olsen plays wonder's denial And, and kind of well of massive trauma, you know, um, her brother, uh, her her lover, uh, yeah. were murdered, were murdered. Her parents grew up in you know Watton, Sokovia, uh, who who were murdered too uh, by an ex- accidental explosion during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, she accidentally blew up a bunch of people in Lagos. You know, um, it, it's it's a lot of things that the MCU <laughs> films haven't dived into, and this yeah. is such a creative and unique way to delve into all that within uh, a breezy package. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, so like. Like like we said, it's it's easy to watch. It's fun to watch, but in, at the same time, it's so incredibly dense and incredibly important for what they're trying to do with the rest of the MCU, right? Yeah. And that is such a feat because so few uh, franchises, right, have ever attempted it. First of all, and second of all, have ever done it well, which I think Wonder Vision is des- definitely a testament to. Yes, you know, agreed. Um, I think it has a great cast as well outside of the lead. Too, mm. Um. <laughs> Me having having been like you know a big comedy fan and yeah. a big like kind of indie fan for a long time, um, I have long thought of Catherine Hahn as like the treasure um, that no one like appreciates. <laughs> you know, um, um, Catherine Hahn as as nosy neighbor Agnes and later on is revealed to be much more is 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 such a a comedic treasure. She, yeah, she she steals every scene that she's mm-hmm. in. Her um the the Agatha Harkness theme song is 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 a banger. Oh. It's a it's a bop <laughs> that, that that I can't stop listening to. You know. Yeah, it's so good. You got you got Tiana Paris. Uh, it initially introduced as Geraldine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'm not gonna re- like spoil her backstory, but you know, she 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 is a pretty major Marvel character that you've seen before. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of others. You know, like Fred Melamed, uh, Deborah Jurup, Emma Caulfield. You know, like they're all co- cosplaying as like the neighbors, the multi-cam sitcom <laughs> characters. They're all fun. You know, um, Kitty from that '70s show is great as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, without giving any spoilers away, like some of the people in the neighborhood and outside have surprising links to la- the larger larger MCU canon. Yeah, you know, including minor characters from Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. minor characters from Ant Man, from Thor, um, alongside organizations like Sword, which was introduced in um, Spider Man Far From Home. And, and Captain Marvel yeah. as well, yes, mm-hmm. correct. Um, and 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 some later on even hint at the MCU maybe uh, teasing, starting to open up. Is multiverse. Mm. Uh, we're most excitingly with uh, maybe maybe not inclusion of certain X Men properties from the Fox movies. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to yeah, spoil it. Yeah. But it is a cute tease. I don't know whether they're. I don't know whether that's just a little like you know like just just a tease just to troll the fans or whether it's something real. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really been explored yet. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I mean, I, I I like all those touches too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, are we going to dive into some spoiler territory? 
we can we can delve into some yeah spoilers. yeah because like, I want to pick I want to pick your brain about some stuff right um as well okay so um spoiler warning in three yeah. two one all right um let's talk about the mutants first right mm. um so recasting Pietro mm. what do you think um number one. Evan Peters was always recognized as the better cook server, so mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. not? Yeah, I agree. Um, poor Eric Taylor Johnson, who's only used on the previously on. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly did. Mostly did. You and know, lying like, on the floor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, getting shot three times. Uh, you didn't see that coming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, getting shot, yeah, poor Aaron Taylor Johnson. But yes, um, I even enjoyed the little kick-ass joke that, uh, oh, that, yeah. uh, that Elizabeth Olsen made. Yeah. They were both in kick-ass. They were, mm-hmm. they were friends in that film, like, if you haven't seen it. Um... I think it was a cheeky way to hint at the multiverse without doing the multiverse in the same way yeah. that Far From Home did Mysterio. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. But I also don't know where Agatha Harkness got this Quicksilver from. Like, there is still the possibility that she, you know, as she said, she couldn't perform necromancy yeah. on the original Quicksilver because his body was too far away, uh, yeah. was on another continent. Yeah. So... You know, just maybe to fuck with Wanda to to snap her out of her of her delusions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to to shake her reality a bit. She may have plucked out Pietro from a different universe and and possessed him. As mm. she said, you know, she couldn't do necromancy. She said that this Pietro was a possession. Yeah. So I don't know whether the person being possessed is just a regular guy in the neighborhood or if he is Pietro from Fox. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I think Wanda summoned this Pietro, but. Agatha possessed him. Mm. Right? Because that one particular scene where she reveals that Pietro, like fake Pietro is is her doing, right? You only see it like the moment that he's in front of the door. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and of course the whole idea with uh with like nothing that happens within the the broadcast segments happens by coincidence, right? Because everything mm-hmm. is scripted by Wanda. So in that sense, I think that given how they've scaled Wanda's power level with WandaVision right now, uh, it's still all Wanda, but hijacked by Agatha Harkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. that's that's yeah. the way I, I think of it right now. Um, mm. Okay. That's very, very interesting. I mean, like, uh, it is a great way to do that, and of course, they are probably going to expand on that in Doctor Strange. Uh, and, and the Multiverse of Madness. Yep. Yeah, and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, which will then, you know, bring in everybody. It'll probably bring everybody back, lah, right? Like, they have the rights to, to X-Men now. They have the rights to Fantastic Four now. I really, really wouldn't be surprised if we see those in... Well, we wanted to see them in Phase 4, because, you know... Mm. Yeah, but um, we, we, we'll probably get them in Phase 5 from the looks of it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the other thing I want to kind of talk about, right, is... uh. Chaos magic, mm. right? Because I think it's incredibly bold for them to deal with in canon in the MCU Wanda's extremely complex multiple origin stories, mm. right? With them being mutants at first, uh, being orphans at first, and then being experiments on, being mutant offspring of of Magneto, uh, being experiments of the higher evolutionary, and then ultimately discovering that that chaos magic is something that's inbuilt, right? Which is something that we only got within the last decade of, yep. of Wanda's history. Yep. Um, the problem is, is that right now, with the introduction of that, and even dealt with it in episode 8, is that chaos magic breaks all the established rules that we've seen so far in the MCU, right? Mm. Uh, where Strange comes in and introduces magic to the world uh, mm. for the first time, right? Like prior to that, what we had Thor, 
who explains it as science that you don't understand, which is fair mm. enough. Um, and and even with what what Agatha is doing, right? They're like established rules of magic in in the Marvel and in the MCU specifically, right? And then all of a sudden now they are talking about chaos magic, which is like a whole different ball game. And already they are showing how that differs, right? From mm. that, um, I, I I don't know. What do you think about the attempt to tackle? Uh, a fairly complex backstory and condense it enough for people to understand, right? For for viewers to understand without having to go through like years and years of like these complicated retcons and 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 shifts in where her character and her power level is at. Because they are definitely setting up Wanda to be a very important part of Phase Four. Yeah, um, perhaps as as uh, the villain for the Doctor Strange movie. Um, mm. the, the idea for chaos magic and the idea for streamlining Wanda's history um, is something that Kevin Feige has always done. Yeah. Um, you know, where, where you take complex stories like uh, Civil War, uh, like, you know, the Infinity War and stuff yeah. like that, and really streamline them to its most... Uh, basic uh, necessities, yeah. uh, taking all the things that work and, and stripping away all the things that don't to make it easily digestible for a new audience is something Feige has done time and time again. Mm-hmm. What he does with Wanda here is make it very easy for people to get into the Scarlet Witch mythology yeah. uh, without delving into the various retcons. Number mm-hmm. one, they've stripped out the idea that she is a mutant. Yeah. Uh, straight away said, she, she was a baby burgeoning witch whose powers were amplified by the Mind Stone. Yeah. Um, also setting up the idea that among the magical community, amongst you know, wizards and warlocks and witches, the, the, uh, a myth or a legend of, of a being as powerful as, as the Scarlet Witch, you know, it's, it's a myth in the magic community that such a being exists capable of spontaneous creation through chaos magic, running mm-hmm. magic on autopilot, not doing the traditional things like studying magic, <laughs> like uh, casting spells, uh, book learning, like what uh, Doctor Strange did, like what Agatha does. You yeah. know, traditional magic, she, she circumvents the rules because she's a natural mag- magic user. An easy way for people to get into that, you know, um, and, and establish uh, in canon, uh, what the Scarlet Witch is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd much rather this happen than, than you know, like some... Usually it's like, oh, like there's an article in the newspaper, oh, she has magic powers and she wears red, so Scarlet Witch is what yeah. some, like J. Jonah yeah. Jameson would say, I right? Mean, you know? And they reference that, right? The fact that she didn't have a... A name, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which, which already implied to me that they were going to uh, present a new way to, to weave in the name mm-hmm. and a new mythology that, uh, that, streams, that streamlines all the best ideas that have come from the last 40 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I have absolutely no complaints about it because very honestly, the way it was dealt with in the comic books was nonsense, right? Like, it's a showdown at the mall with the X-Men mm. when they discover, when, when Wanda finally reveals, you know, that she is the Scarlet Witch. And she wields chaos magic. Like <laughs> it didn't get more like anticlimactic at that in the comics itself. So for them to deal with it in this way, mm. fascinating. Uh, its mm. impact on the future of magic in the MCU also equally fascinating. So I'm curious yeah. where they're gonna go with that. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. There's a very high chance that Wanda will be the antagonist mm. um, in the future. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. She is. She is the MCU's Dark Phoenix. I can see it. She, they're doing Dark Phoenix without <sighs> doing Dark Phoenix, and they and doing it way better than the what three times that the Fox has <laughs> tried to do it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how that goes, right? Like eventually, when we do get mutants and all of that. Uh, but I mean, like again, I applaud 
the effort and and the thought um and the detail that has gone into creating Wonder Vision right um, mm. behind it such a bold move um you know just to kind of start off the face mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah thoroughly enjoy it. Also, you know, the, this film also uh, gives uh, Monica Rambeau uh, her powers, you know, in, yes. in, a new, in, a, in a totally new way, in a totally new way. Um, yeah, I mean, like, and in a new way that isn't too far from her comic book origins, yep. um, necessarily. Uh, I'm interested to see how they establish her power level in the future, whether or not it's going to be something that they take on in a future kind of Agents of Sword. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, in future seasons of WandaVision, if there is any, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about how they're going to do that. The question is, is she going to be one of those TV series only superheroes? Uh, or are they going to bring her onto the big screen? I mean, she's the natural fit for Captain Marvel too, uh, which you Absolutely. know, announced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it will be extremely fascinating because at some point in time, um, she becomes Captain Marvel, right? Mm. She inherits the mantle and all of that when Carol is out of action. And then there's that whole brahaha uh, when Carol comes back from the dead. <laughs> and, and then they kind of like have this tussle for the title and what it represents uh, before she finally becomes Photon? Or is it Spectrum? Yep, it's Photon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it seems like this Monica Rambeau, interestingly enough, you know, um, for dramatic tension's sake, uh, obviously not happy with Carol Dan, but yeah. she did not look uh, pleased when, when Kat Dannings brought up her name. Exactly. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Carol uh, never came back to Earth while her mother was dying, her mm-hmm. best friend. Yeah. You know, um, that, that has a lot to do with it. So, you know, that's good, good dramatic tension. Yeah. It, it's also very good for Monica's character. You know, it gives her a bit of depth. We've also never seen uh, in a dramatic, real way uh, far from home played it for laughs, but yeah. we've never seen what happens after you know the unblipping, so to speak. You know, yeah. Uh, what what a great scene to introduce Monica oh, into the show. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think like uh, there's so many que- questions about um, the blip, right? And that mm-hmm. people have just generally been having during the span of time when they were doing Endgame, uh, and now that they've kind of like showed what it's actually like. I think it would be fascinating to kind of see that. Uh, we got glimpses of, of you know, the survivor stories mm. um, at, at the kind of like <clears throat> grief uh, support group, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Ant-Man. What's uh, it, Ant-Man? No, it was an Endgame. In and, Endgame, yeah. And also in a more humorous fashion in Far From Home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's great to kind of see that. I think it answers a lot of questions that people have been having. Uh, about that, you know, and I, I hope they kind of build of that. Like, I would totally uh, a support group for for people who have been unblipped, especially if they're the superheroes, would be really mm-hmm. funny. Yep. As well, um, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see. I'm I'm kind of curious. I I read this kind of um this this comment right. They were saying that <clears throat> given um how apparently Brie Larson hasn't been a fan favorite or. Um, very favored within the MCU camp itself, right? Yeah, um, um, there's a very loud uh group that uh you know openly dislikes uh Brie Larson's uh um, open feminist views. Yeah. Uh, again, you know it's very loud, but you know um the one billion dollar box office for Captain Marvel argues otherwise. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I I don't know. Like there have been plenty of rumors about how like you know it's it's um because she was such a late addition 
to the MCU, right? Like, um, you know, she doesn't fit very well with the cast and stuff like that. I- I'm just curious, um, you know, how they're just going to set up some kind of tension between Monica and, and Captain Marvel later in the future and if that has any kind of implications in much further on, mm-hmm. um, you know, because within the comics itself, Captain Marvel um, is... Is has become problematic, right? Like with season, uh, with Civil War two and her mm. actions there, you know, uh, her obvious like um, relationships that and the people she's killed and 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 her relationship with Tony Stark and mm. all of that. Um, it's it, it's it's very interesting um, as we kind of move along to see whether or not the MCU pivots on some of the big characters to show them as not completely heroes. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm just. I'm, you know, I'm just wondering, like, you know, if they if they are starting to set some some of that up early. In purely pro wrestling terms, uh, when you set up someone as a good guy that the audience rejects, yeah, you turn them heel, yeah, then the audience accepts them, yeah. um, and and that could be done with Captain Marvel. In fact, the audience might actually start liking her if they turn her heel. You know, yeah, she becomes a bit more of an anti-hero than a hero, uh, yeah. which which could be fun as well with you know Monica trying to. Being the new official Captain Marvel, and you know she is like the anti Captain Marvel. Um, yeah. Also, the show introduces new villains. You know, like uh, mm. I actually really like that the show has three primary villains. I mean, number one, yeah. Wanda, Wanda is clearly the the villain of her own show, but yeah. she has two antagonist villains, and one is on the tech side, and one is on the magic side. You know, yeah. the, <laughs> the tech villain being Hayward. You know, introducing anti Vision into canon, uh, very cool. Yeah, uh, and then cool. you have Ag- 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 Agatha Harkness being the magic villain. Very cool as well. So I, I like that, you know, they're keeping the magic tech, magic tech. Uh, yeah, I really love I really love how they introduced Ag- Agatha Harkness here. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in the comics continuity has always been, uh, I mean, like, okay, she's like this mentor kind of like sensei character, right? To wander with like this extremely kind of strained relationship. I do like the fact that off the, uh, straight from the start, they go with like a straight up antagonistic role for her. Right, because it makes it a lot easier and and less like wishy washy um in, in terms of the storytelling. Um, yeah, and, uh, I, but at the same time, she's still mentoring Wanda. Um, yeah, 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 in her own strange way. Mm. Uh, I I squealed a little with uh anti vision. Yeah. Yeah, because I wow, like that. Honestly, that outfit right in the comic books is one of my favorite like vision outfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, it's just. Ugh. Um. Uh. Kudos to them for you know like thinking of bringing that in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just like a, a so many not not and wing wings you know especially with the the Halloween episode and the classic uh costumes as well. Yeah. You know. Um. I also see Wonder Vision setting up a different aspect of the larger MCU specifically with respect to the Young Avengers. Um. Mm. Of course, you know, I think Monica and Peter Parker will probably be the leaders of that. You know, Wanda's yeah. children will probably part, be part of that. Uh, Kamala Khan, you know, uh, a recently announced series on, on uh, Disney Plus will also be a yeah. part of that, you know. So very cool uh, to... to uh, it, this is a very consequential show in many ways. You know, it, oh, it yeah, does set up sure. a lot of things, yeah. yeah. And I think that every MC movie does a very good job of like telling a main story and setting up the larger law of mm, the world. Mm, mm. Yeah, Young Avengers is going to be pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing Shuri's gonna have a stint in Young Avengers. Um, from if the she's look not, of yeah, if she's not cancelled, uh, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, Kamal Kamala Khan definitely looking forward mm-hmm. to that. I wonder if Pe- Pepper Potts is gonna come back. Uh, mm-hmm. because recently she was, I mean, like not so long ago, she was the leader of the Young Avengers. 
Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that works. Uh, in addition to that, Viv was also Viv from Divisions was also part of that that crew. Yeah. Um, you know, and it could be something that happens like in in kind of like the resolution of WandaVision in the future. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised, and like it's great for them to kind of start expanding into a different teams. I think that it's always been a fascinating part of, of of following the comics right that you have all these different teams and all the different adventures they go on to but mm. for a cinematic universe to do that i don't think we've mm. quite gotten that yet outside of uh dc animated universe correct yeah yeah so i mean i guess i guess to wrap it up right like in, in conclusion i actually love the season yeah but i don't think that this is the greatest season of mcu mm. ever <laughs> yeah that's uh, I think Agents of Shield season four and five, yeah. uh, Punisher season one, and Daredevil season one rank a little bit higher, but yeah. this is certainly the most creative, experimental, and inventive thing the MCU has ever done. Yeah, and for this sure. is major props to that. So I think I'm giving this an eight out of ten. Uh, it's an eight and uh, eight for me as well. Nice, yeah. I was actually initially going to give it 7.5 until episode 8. So, keep in mind, <laughs> um, I do have to say that we have not seen the finale, so our rating yeah. might even get even higher once we've seen episode 9. But yeah. as of episode 8, our, our scores are 8 and 8.5 respectively, which is very yeah. high already. Yeah, you know? it, it is. It is. Um, if, if your prediction is right and we do get the all the whams and the bams in, in the final episode. Um, mm, Vision yeah. versus anti-vision, Wanda versus Agatha. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be fun. Uh, but of course, I really hope they do give us an interesting resolution for this for this season. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll see how that plays out. So uh, a couple of days more before episode 9 comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, we might talk about it again. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and then the week after episode 9 comes out, Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes out. My yeah. goodness, MCU on a non-stop roll this year. Yeah. Keep in mind that they will have no week break this year. It's, it's MCU back-to-back. It's WandaVision and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier and then Black Widow and mm. then Loki and then uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and then Spider-Man uh, and then Eternals. This is a big year for the MCU. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It feels like, you know, they've been just dating Phase 4 for quite a while now. I think three uh, of their titles had to be pushed to this year, so that's why. Uh, that's true, but it's working in their favor for sure, right? Like at the same time, like with DC trying to play catch up and failing all the time. Mm. Uh, this last couple of years, like you know, uh, twenty twenty one looks like it's gonna be amazing for the MCU and for fans of the MCU alike. Yeah, uh, and and if you ever need a reason to subscribe to Disney Plus, that's it. There's not one week where you can cancel your subscription. There's a new. <laughs> There's a new, uh, there's a new Disney animation, Marvel or uh, Pixar or Star Wars coming out, like back to back to back to back to back, boom yeah. boom boom, you know. It's crazy. Uh, like you know, it's 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 soon gonna be you know, uh, Disney Plus and chill. Uh, it's it's slowly taking over. Uh, like yeah. now that Disney is worldwide, it used to be only in North America. Now that Disney Plus is worldwide. Uh, plus, you know, the back catalog of Disney Plus. Um, yeah. Uh, classic cartoons, gargoyles, and shit like that, you know. <laughs> Incre- incredible. Uh, incredible. If, if you want to subscribe, it's, de- it's definitely worth it, you know. And, and I do have to say that uh, Star, and especially Net Geo, is great on Disney Plus, too. Mm. So, you know, well worth your money. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, 
we've spent like about 45 minutes uh, talking about <laughs> WandaVision. Uh, and it's, it's a great show, don't get me wrong. And, and, yeah. and probably, you know, the first big show of the year and it heralds a new era for Marvel. So of course, we spend that much time on it. Um, we're not Marvel shills, but, you know, we're Marvel fans. We've loved nearly everything. We love to like la, nearly everything they've done. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so yeah, that's WandaVision. It's great. You should watch it, you know. Um, if you're not into the sitcom stuff, sit through it because, you know, once it gets into the MCU stuff, it's very good. Yeah. Yep, so, yeah, uh, highly recommend it. Next up, let's talk about a little smaller film that will be debuting uh, on the projector uh, this week and next week. Uh, it's sneak, sneak previewing if you live in Singapore at the projector this week, and then it releases wide uh, next week. It is Saint Maud, uh, which I feel is the first great horror movie of 2021, mm. uh, and a gripping entry into A24's art horror canon. This is Rose Clark's directorial debut, uh, and it follows a newly devout hospice nurse named Maud, who becomes obsessed with saving her dying patient's soul, but sinister forces and her own sinful past uh, threatened to put an end to her holy calling. Um, yeah. It is both uh, clear-eyed about matters of belief mm -hmm. and wonderfully abstract about how said beliefs manifest in reality. Um, it is an ecstatically bloody affair that imagines the inner world of a young woman driven to violence by voices both inside and outside of her head. It walks the fine line between religious fervor and madness, and, and St. Maud is, is this very dread-laden, uh, deeply unsettling film that, yep. that kind of folds in psychological terror, spiritual <laughs> warfare, and sexual repression into, into a character study of faith versus mental illness. Um, impeccable filmmaking and, and a dynamic uh, central performance from both Moffitt Clark and, and Jennifer Ely mm. uh, will, will keep viewers gripped till its shockingly satisfying conclusion that offers you the best of both worlds. Yep. Um, I won't spoil the ending, yeah. but regardless of which way you want to believe, it offers you both endings, and that's great. You know, um, <laughs> it, um, Maud, you know, has this very close relationship with God. Um, she's born again, right? You know, as as detailed in the narration of her prayers, and yeah. and her astute and and uh, very clever patient Amanda, uh, a former dancer, uh, kind of susses out that Maud's devout faith is a recent conversion, mm. and and Maud confesses that she hears God's voice and feels His presence, and and her body. Is often overcome in like this writhing, nearly orgasmic fits, the way that she she describes it, and yeah. then she hopes that Amanda might feel this ecstasy of spirit too, uh, that Maud might shepherd her to the grace of God that she herself feels, and she's determined to become Amanda's savior. Mm -hmm. um, that is the crux of the film. Um, what do you think about Saint Maud? Oh wow, unnerving! It's incredibly unnerving. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I think like uh, firstly because like it's it's such, it's so beautifully shot, the acting is like incredibly on point. Um, the body horror that we do get is skin crawlingly good, um, all the time. Like I am, I was so taken. I think in particular, all of the moments of ecstasy that that she has right are incredible. Right, like they are so visceral watching them on the screen. Uh, you know, I uh, it's it it felt. I mean, it's a slow burn for sure, mm. right? But it didn't feel over long. I mean, like it is what hour ish twenty five. Yeah, an hour twenty five or so. I I think like it was a very interesting kind of like well, uh, contained story. Um, for the amount of time that they ha they spent on it, 
Um, you know, uh, I found the soundtrack unnerving as well. There were just moments mm-hmm. in time like that where it's very faint and in the background and kind of like insidious, uh, mm-hmm. but it completely sets the tone for what's happening on screen. And because it is barely noticeable unless you're paying direct attention to it, which is mm. difficult because what's on screen is always almost captivating, right? Uh, regardless yep. of the shots that are happening, the conversations that's happening, or, or just like the incredible body acting by the two act- uh, lead actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is like something like, like, what's going on? Why do I feel like, you know, like creeped out, right? Um, despite the fact that like it's, it's, it's so subtle, you know, uh, and I think that really kind of stood out to me. Um, as as someone who has had like personally, um, you know, spoken with people um, uh, of of belief systems and and things like that, where they do experience that kind of thing, and mm. and seen some of the like seen things similar to that, like mm. it really did touch on a couple of nerves for me, uh, which just mm. kind of added to the overall experience of watching Saint Maud. Uh, mm. But overall, like I really like this I'm not sure if I enjoyed it mm. I'm not sure if it's, it's a film to be enjoyed yeah basically mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know you don't enjoy it the way that Maud finds pleasure in God you know yeah. she uses God to to displace the pain that she experiences in the world you know yeah. the, the pain of the sick and dying uh, the pain the pain that people inflict upon others and her own psychic and emotional pain yeah. um, I think she externalizes that mental agony in different ways she kind of lashes out at Amanda's cruel whims mm. or in self-destructive behavior or in the kind of ancient masochistic rituals of self-flagellation yeah. um, Mott believes that pain should never be wasted that is a direct quote yeah. uh, that it should lead to some lesson uh, or a salvation or a blessing or a transformation of some kind but but sometimes life is painful for no reason and and the thing is Mott's description of God speaking to her is 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 not homosexual it is sexual yeah. and, and, and Glass wants the audience to ponder whether Mott's fervent belief is perhaps powered by loneliness, but mm. visually, the viewer is in Mott's head. She yeah. perceives supernatural danger all around her. So still as compelling as these visions are, I think Glass cleverly injects uncertainty at every turn, alluding mm-hmm. to buried mm-hmm. trauma in Mott's past that might be fueling her delusions, or it might not. These delusions might be real. Um, yeah. But compelling, most compelling dynamics, of course, between Maud and Amanda, right? That 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 kind of hints at this like weird and di- weird forbidden dynamic. Like, um, Ely is outstanding as the kind of wary, <laughs> flirty former dancer who has yeah. resolved to drink and smoke her way through her final days of cancer. Uh, and as her relationship with Maud becomes surprisingly close, I think Glass emphasizes a lurking danger through just Maud's kind of furtive glances and tense silences. You never know what she's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's like in this character in desperate need of affection. Yeah. But she often reacts to warmth with hostility. Um, what I perhaps love most about St. Maud is how Glass wants us to understand the, her, her maligned heroine mm-hmm. who, is a, who is at once villain and victim. I, I think yeah. Morfred Clark is outstanding in this role. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you what do you think about the acting from the two principals? Uh, Mark Clark is amazing. Yeah, like just how, from moment to moment, right? I think especially in in the earlier first uh, earlier half of the film, right, where she mm. goes between um, the scenes where she she does the voiceovers, right, 
Um, and then, of course, the scenes where she's experiencing these moments of religious fervor, you know, mm. or, or where where she's you know, kind of like machinating. Like she has to wear so many faces. Yeah. Uh, in 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 those periods of time, right? Like, and and in classic kind of like unreliable narrator mode, um, she does it so well mm-hmm. that it is completely believable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but at the same time, like like it 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 is so. like oh god like really you know like there are just moments in time where these subtle facial nuances you know as things are going on on screen that you you, it's enough for you just to kind of catch it right but again like completely unnerving um, when when she's being spoken to, when she notices something um, the the furtive glances that you expected all of Mm -hmm. them are tinged with um, multiple layers of emotion that I feel are immediately caught by the audience but not necessarily verbalized or, or obvious and yep, like yep. It's, it's, oh, it's so good like I mean yeah. it's hard to pull that off so subtly right like mm-hmm. any misstep in, in doing so would make this a fuss honestly yeah right yeah. And, and so much of what makes a model powerful in terms of the way that story that is told um, and, and her struggle because it really is a struggle um it really boils down to these like quiet moments of like pure acting powers. Uh, mm. And it, it's quite crazy. I, I think uh, Jennifer Ellie is amazing uh, as her character. Yeah. Uh, and she fulfills her role very, very well as both kind of like antagonist slash foil, I, I guess, yeah. uh, um, to Clark's character. But I mean, like, like Morphic Clark is like, oh, so good. Outstanding, right? She's gonna yeah, be in yeah. the new Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon. Uh, psyched Woo! to see her in that. I had yeah. no idea who she was when she was casted for it. Yeah, uh, she's the lead in that show, and now I have more confidence in Amazon's Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because of yeah. the casting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be. I mean, like, I I had no idea who she was. I I didn't make the connection until I I was doing research for for us to do this review, mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh wow, like that is that's quite a you know. A powerhouse to be putting at the at the forefront of something as big as the Lord of the Rings series. Indeed, um, and they discovered her when she was cheap. I think her contract will probably go up from now on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, like with yeah. a with an outing like say Mod, damn, like it's yeah. it's gonna be insane. Um, yeah. very very excited to see what she does in the future. I mean, like mm-hmm. she's one of those like complete unknowns. To, um, uh, that until now, had, yeah, yeah, until now, and and to come out with uh in in a very small indie film that mm-hmm. has been making a lot of waves thanks to A24 and, and their distribution of it. It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, like kudos. Like, so, so excited to see where she goes from here. Um, but, like, her performance, oh, like, incredibly just stomach churning at times. Um, but so good, so good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I That's why, I mean, her performance, Rose Clark's direction, uh, the overall atmosphere and creepiness of the film, the unsettling nature of the horror is why I'm giving this an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten. Um, I'm yeah, just because like I do think it could have afforded to be a little bit faster paced in certain portions. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. some portions, especially going from Act One to Act Two, felt a tad indulgent. Uh, but of course, I'm nitpicking. Mm. Uh, here, so like yeah, it's an eight for me. 
Nice. Uh, next up, I'm going to delve into quick hits where I'll quickly run through, I think, uh, a very short list, uh, seven or eight uh, titles that I yeah. caught and maybe my co-host did not catch. First of which is Little Fish. It is a dreamy and devastating indie sci-fi romance that mm-hmm. imagines a global epidemic where people suddenly lose their memories due to something called neuroinflammatory affliction. Uh, NIA is what the film calls it, which is a rapid Alzheimer's-like disease. Yeah. Um, no one knows how it's caught. No one knows whether it's airborne or, or whatnot, primarily because most of the population... You know, even the experts are losing their memory. So, you know, the, the conditions for finding a cure for this are not good. So, Little Fish follows a couple uh, who are Jude Williams and Emma Ryerson, played by Jack O'Connell and um, Olivia Cook, respectively. They are grappling with the realities of NIA as they slowly start to forget each other. Um, yeah. Not only each other, but their loved ones, the world around them, uh, their passions and all of that. Uh, this is a beautifully acted and melancholy love story mm-hmm. that explores the disintegration of a relationship without closure or reason. Uh, and it applies nimble, non-linear storytelling, kind of blending flashbacks and the present to offer a microcosm of a disoriented world where every single person shares a version of their grief. How do you grieve when everyone shares your grief? You know, There's nothing special about you, but it's still yeah. painful. You know, while it has a sci-fi premise, this is actually a very grounded story, anchored by great performances from both leads. Uh, a very good movie about a doomed relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. If I had to dock some points, it's because it maybe shares uh, a few too many similar beats as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, as we've just reviewed on Behold. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is why it's a it's a seven out of ten. Uh, if it was a little bit more original, it would have been an yeah. eight. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, next up is Space Sweepers, uh, South Korea's Netflix big-budget, star-studded Korean sci-fi space epic. Um, It is set in 2092, and Earth's pollution levels are so toxic that a new colony, replete with green fields and breathable air, is being developed on Mars, overseen by the altruistic UTS Corporation. However, uh, stop me if you heard this before, only the wealthy elite can offer, uh, can, can afford to relocate, you know, mm. living, leaving billions stranded back on Earth. Uh, meanwhile, we follow a Korean spaceship called Victory. They are kind of a ragtag crew of garbage collectors who patrol the solar system, taking out trash. Uh, very blue-collar workers. La. One day, they stumble upon a young android girl yeah. revealed to be a stolen weapon of mass destruction. So they see an opportunity to sell her back to the radicals who stole her. Um, this film is kind of bursting with you know space dog fights, robot sidekicks, and you know wicked megalomaniacs. While the fate of the Earth hangs precariously in the balance, uh, but it's so encumbered by its mission to get Korean cinema up to speed with mm-hmm. the sci-fi blockbuster game that it feels like an exhaustive box-ticking exercise designed yeah. by committee. Uh, you know, rather than the realization of co- coherent stories, you know, you know, you know like, uh, oh, we want a space fight, tick, we want a robot, tick, we want, you know, um, uh, yeah, uh, whatever, like, you know, like relocating to another planet, tick, you know, that kind of stuff. You know? It's yeah. just so derivative. It's filled with so many, uh, I, I hate to say it, basic bitch, uh, space sci fi <laughs> tropes, you know. Yeah. Um, space Sweepers kind of fails to find its own footing. Uh, and its unique selling point is is totally missing after that, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. a melting pot of everything and still ends up being about nothing. And I think that's why it struggles to keep viewers engaged mm-hmm. with little to no attempt to build its characters. Uh, so this is a 4 out of 10. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, did did you did you catch uh, Space Sweepers? Uh, I I saw I saw the <laughs> I saw the trailer. I was like, huh, that looks pretty interesting. Like the production value, like you can't deny the production value, especially yeah. in the trailer. Uh, and then I caught like half an episode. And I was just like, oh, you know, I think I know where this is going. You know what? Never mind. I have other things to watch. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I I'm glad to know that I I didn't waste any time on it. Yes, and I would advise no one else to waste any time on it. Similarly, uh, I'm going to be talking about next, about this, the, the new BBC America adaptation yep. of Terry Pratchett's beloved, uh, massive best-selling Discworld novels. It oh, is man. called The Watch, and um, watching it as a fan of Terry Pratchett, um, this is such a confusing experience because it's... Yeah totally confusing it's okay. very 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 loosely adapt- uh, adapted you know this this very loose uh, uh-huh. very 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 loose. <laughs> it's a surface level adaptation um all, all the things that have been lifted from pratchett's long-running satirical fantasy series you know yep. the name the plot points the orangutan librarian that's all accurate but then mm-hmm. there's the actual show which is kind of this grungy effort that for some reason really aspires to be a punk rock cop show, um, yeah. complete with like you know flashing neon lights, uh, needle drops from from the pixies, uh, a, a liberal dosage of you know kind of raised middle fingers. Um, you know, here's the sad truth: like neither of those two disparate tones work together, um, mm. ni- uh, and even neither work individually, let alone put together. This is a very very bad show. It is difficult to figure out who the hell the watch is for. It is not for the fans of the book it's based on. It clearly isn't. It's mm-hmm. not for fans of cop shows. It is too you know anarchic and disorganized. It is not for punks because well, they feature cops. Um, <laughs> the, the, the lack of a narrative build is evidence in the script thing as well. You know, the watch is repeat repeatedly uses familiar tropes as though simply acknowledging that the trope exists counts as effective character development. There is no rising action or stakes and rarely a sense of anything mattering beyond an excuse to get us to the next set piece. You know, is it watchable? Maybe. Some set pieces pieces are fun, Mm -hmm. but it's just a pity that, you know, so much work and time uh, to to adapt such a beloved and iconic source material went into something so pleasantly empty, uh, which is why this is a 3 out of 10 for me. Oh man, I, I wish yeah. Hardy was around to to chime in on this. Given how big of a Terry Pratchett fan he is, indeed, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, next up, we'll be talking about Superman and Lois, which mm-hmm. is uh the Arrowverse's next show. You know, the <laughs> Arrowverse at this moment kind of finds itself as a at a crossroads. You know, yeah. Um, Supergirl and Black Lightning both coming to an end this season. The mm-hmm. Flash coming to an end uh, next year. Its yeah. parent show Arrow has already concluded. You know, there's only Legends of Tomorrow left. So they need to, you know, revive. Um, yeah. And this this newer series, Superman and Lewis, is crucial in the re- revitalization of the shared universe somewhat. Mm-hmm. You know, like if this fails, I don't know where the where the DC uh, CW verse goes. Batwoman. So, <laughs> indeed, right? You know, uh, so of course, this is a spin-off of Supergirl. Yeah. Uh, with Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tullock reprising their respective roles. But the show is, at least in the beginning, a very standalone show. It requires no knowledge of any other show. You don't have to watch Supergirl even. Nice. Um, okay. Yeah. So what Superman and Lewis does to differentiate from other Superman shows and movies is the addition of two teenage children, Jonathan and Jordan Kent. 
Mm. So the idea is that this show will juggle the challenges that Superman faces when he's saving the world with those that he encounters as a working parent. Um, so here's okay. what's good. Yeah, uh, there's a reason that Arrowverse fans have been clamoring for Hoakland and Tulloch <laughs> to get their own Superman series. Yeah. They are both very good at playing Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Incredible chemistry. They play each other very well. This is the best Clark and Lois since Terry Hatcher, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, in the yeah. 90s Superman show. Yeah. Um, so the, the two leads are intensely charming and likable. Um, here's the bad. Their two kids are intensely unlikable. Um, oh, we barely okay. even get a chance to know them. We don't even know them to, to be on their side, you know. And then mm-hmm. suddenly, the story immediately revolves around their angst and resentment. It is very annoying and not well written. These children are a chore to watch. You know, you know, the introduction of annoying children in shows? Yeah. You know, like, like yeah. you know, when they need to remember shows, they, they, they introduce, oh, the, the kid is, that is like resentful of the main character. Mm-hmm. Imagine that happens from day one. That's what Superman and Lois is. Like, mm. these, the, the two title characters are winsome. The family melodrama and clunky writing and the kids are a drag, which is why, eh, half-half. This is a five out of ten. Okay. Oh man, that's that's sad. That's really really sad because they they looked the apart, they feel the part every time they've been on Supergirl. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a bit sad. And I mean, the kids are an interesting addition. I'm guessing that was that was from going from Rebirth, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So, oh man, uh, what a waste. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, next up, I'm gonna be talking about Yowick and the Witch which mm. is directed by Goro Miyazaki, the son of Hiyao Miyazaki. Uh, yeah. It is Studio Ghibli's first feature in four years. It is also the first Ghibli movie to forego its trademark hand-drawn 2D animation for a full-blown 3D CG animation. The film follows the titular Earwick, who grows up in an orphanage in the British countryside. He has no idea that, his mother, uh, that her mother had yeah. magical powers. So her life changes dramatically when a strange couple takes her in and she is forced to live with a selfish witch. Um, as the headstrong young girl sets out to uncover the secrets of her new guardians, she discovers a world of spells and potions and, and a mysterious song that may be the key to finding the family that she's always wanted. So how does Ghibli's first CG film fare? Um, in one word, horrendously. It is, it is a pronounced departure from tradition that mm. proves dispiritingly generic in both appearance and tone. Mm-hmm. The problem with Yerwick and the Witch has more to do with its uninspired story than the hokey animation, which is sad because the animation is truly bad. But yes, I, you know, ironically, the 3D animation here feels more flat and falls more flat than any of the 2D works that Ghibli has ever done. It denies viewers the sense of Ghibli whimsy and wonder. Um, this may be, hands down, the worst Ghibli film that's ever been made. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a 2 out of 10 for me. Um, it is below the watch. This is how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Very sad. Uh, finally, I'll be talking about Netflix's newest TV show out of Europe. It is called Tribes of Europa. Um... It's not set on the moon of Europa, sadly. You know, <laughs> it's set in a future Europe that has been renamed Europa. Um, uh, it's set in the year 2029. Uh, okay. So it's after an incident called the Black December. 
led to a technological blackout. So it forces humanity back into the dark ages without any electricity. Nearly 50 years later, in 2074, the mysterious disaster has torn Europe apart, turning it, turning it, it into you know the, the titular Europa. Lah. It's now full of like uh, disparate tribes. So Tribes of Europa focuses on, on three siblings who set out to change the course of the world after the global disaster. So this is a German series that was created by the team behind Dark. So I had high hopes going into mm-hmm. it. But uh, unfortunately, this kind of post-apocalyptic Brexit-inspired show is really derivative and nothing unique. Mm-hmm. If you've seen The Rain, if you've seen The Hundred, if you've seen The Hunger Games, or a million other similar shows, you know, or The Mace Runner or whatever, you know what to expect. It's not terrible. It's just you've seen it all before. 4 mm. off point five out of 10. Uh, yeah, and, and that wraps it up for hard hits, uh, for quick hits uh, this month. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, okay. Well, at least, like, Little Fish sounds interesting. I, I think I Little will Fish check are, that out. It's pretty good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will check it, that out. Uh, yeah, you were Sorry. saying... Okay, I, I just wanted to ask about a bit about Little Fish, right? Like, did you feel that um, the... Was the premise too similar to Eternal Sunshine? Or it was it the fact that it was like tonally too similar? It's tonally similar. The premise obviously shares surface similarities, but it, yeah. it's almost the anti-Eternal Sunshine because neither of these none of these people chose this. You know, mm, yeah. You know, okay. It's, okay. It's very different thematically in that way, lah. Because yeah. you know, no one chose to erase their memories. This is happening against their will. So that that is what makes it different, lah. But at the same time, thematically, the melancholy, the way it's shot, the love story, it, that that feels beat for beat very similar to Eternal Sunshine. Mm, mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I think I think I might I might check it out now when we as and when we have time for that. Yeah. Um. um it's a short rest, film. Uh, one uh, hour. One hour twenty again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never ever had only one good review for Quick Hits. Yeah, I realize and that that's it's, it's a bit of an oddity, um, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it will happen time to time. Well, yeah, at least there's no, at least there's one good one. It could be worse. At least there's one good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank God for the fish, but you know, skip everything else. Maybe Superman and Lewis might get better. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, like, I do, I am not a fan of the annoying kid trope. Um, yeah. If they do resolve that fairly quickly, I wouldn't mind giving it a chance. I mean, like, I've enjoyed Supergirl. We've, we've, enjoyed, we've enjoyed most of the Arrowverse, right? Or, mm. or now CWverse. Um, you know, so I'm hoping... I mean, I, I'm, I, I want them to succeed and to continue to make good stuff uh, while we wait for DCEU to get their shit together. Yeah, um, never going to happen here. Yeah, you know, so like, uh, if, it's th- if they're banking on this to kind of make it big, I really do want it to be good. Yeah, hopefully, man. Uh, we still have Legends, so that's that. That's uh, true. Next up, let's delve into a very thick ISIS Ooh. anime corner. Lots to get into. Uh, yeah. kick, it off, uh, kick it off. Yeah, so I'm, I've basically... Um, I'm going to split this into kind of three parts. I'll be talking about um, the Heavy Hitter returning series that we've kind of covered before. Uh, all of them um, have been recommended uh, in different seasons on, on different episodes of genre quality. Um, yeah. And just to let you guys know like how many of them come back, then I'm going to talk about two returning series that have taken like really long hiatuses that I just want to dive into as recommendations. And then uh, just five kind of like uh, new anime series that have really st- stood out this season. Um, much more than like, it's an unusually large winter uh, release schedule, right? Because so many things were kind of put on hold. 
Um, so there usually it's either like the spring or the summer seasons that have, get like the best stuff, but we've got like a chock a block of stuff right now. And um, we're just gonna dive into it with the returning series. And the first one, uh, to uh, no surprise of anyone, of course, is Attack on Titan final season. Yeah. Um, now that um, Iren and Gang have finally found out what is in the Jaeger family basement. And uh, he's done his fair share of eating strange things and getting powerful, which is becoming a, a meme at this mm-hmm. point in time in the anime world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, we, 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 find, uh, we find him and the gang at odds with, with uh, Gabby Braun and, and Falco Grice uh, this season, who are characters that we follow a bit more yeah. of, right? Um, who are these trainees who are trying to inherit one of the seven titans under Mali's control. Uh, and and aid their nation in you know eradicating the Eldians. Mm. Uh, it has been okay. Season four uh, has recently been inherited by Mappa, right? Which are the guys who have been doing Jujutsu Kaisen. Mm. Uh, and f- for once in season four, um, mm. Attack on Titan no longer suffers from the perennial problem of pacing. Right, like really poor pacing. Like from the get go, every scene. Uh, in every episode, um, semantically has meaning to the plot and drives it forward. There is no more like, oh, you know, I'm going to show you another like five minutes of a fight scene that took place three episodes ago because I don't know. I don't have anything for you, right? It doesn't take me five fucking episodes to carry a fucking rock like a hundred meters, uh, Mm. you know, while everybody has like this like, whoa... Uh, uh, world-changing conversations while watching me carry a rock, right? Um, Indeed, the fight yeah. scenes are amazing, right? The fight scenes here top anything that has been shown in the three seasons prior, and that's saying a lot for a series like Attack on Titan. Nice. Um, you know, honestly, I dropped Attack on Titan near the end of season two. I didn't even bother with season three just because of how bad the pacing was. Um, on on recommendation, I think midway through season three, uh, I think Phil was the one who was just like, dude, you're missing out if you're not watching now. Uh, nice. I got back on that. And of course, like, you know, it being on Netflix right now, given how big it's grown, <clears throat> mm. the fan base has grown, has made it a lot more accessible for people to kind of binge it. Um, like, season four is uh, redemptive in so many ways, right? Like, not to say that right. the story wasn't good, but for last four of the second half of season two and last four of season three, like we weren't really sure where they were going uh, because I think at that point in uh, in time it was catching up to the manga, um, mm. and and we didn't know where the manga was going. Like the all the dilly dallying was happening in the manga, right? Which made it very difficult for them to to kind of. Um, convert that, you know, uh, to, to adapt that like in, in a meaningful way. I think yeah. with this being the final season, like it's in the title, it's the final season, guys, where on the home stretch, we finally, you know, got all the like mysteries out of the way. It's resolution time. Yeah. Uh, like there's no need for any of that kind of like, ooh, you know, we don't really know what's going on. Let's kind of take our time to explore here. None of right. that, right? We are going to give you action we're going to give you flashbacks we're going to keep moving the plot forward to to you know uh to its climax um in, in a way that you know the fans of three seasons have been waiting for um mm. so really really enjoy Attack and Titan final season it's something extremely different um and Amampa continues to make amazing art um going forward i i think the soundtrack especially this season is like pretty epic 
right? Like, it, the soundtrack in season one was really epic because we didn't really get that for a while from any other anime at that mm. point. Uh, yeah. But, like, season four, damn. Like, the final season, like, soundtrack is really, really solid. Um, nice. So, yeah, Attack on Titan, final season. Uh, I haven't really talked about season two or season three just because, like, I didn't like the way that it panned out um, yeah. in terms of pacing. <clears throat> but, yeah, we're back. Nice. And and it's good worth a know, watch. And um, you will be one week behind if you're watching it on Netflix. Um, but that's fine, right? Otherwise, you can find it on Funimation or Crunchyroll. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about ReZero, second season part two. ReZero, right. also an extremely popular uh, franchise, uh, now going into uh, the better part of 50 episodes <laughs> where we are at now. Yeah. Um, if you aren't tired of Subaru dying and coming back to life again, if you aren't mm. tired of him like crying and wailing his heart out while screaming Amelia's name all the time, uh, you know... <laughs> Then uh, I think I think it's worth kind of getting into uh, see, uh, the second season part two. Uh, yeah. It's not as bad as it's not as as um, it's not as masochistic as season one, right? Like okay. ReZero is an extremely masochistic series. Uh, yeah. It's extremely painful to watch in parts, but people keep coming back, and I, I kind of understand why because I'm still watching it anyway. Um, uh-huh. But season uh, the, uh, part two of season two. It does help bring a lot more, at least up to this point, right? We're halfway through the season. Uh, bring a lot more answers to the questions that we've had all along. I think season two started out, uh, and I, I, I said this in the review of when season two started last year. Um, started out kind of strange. Um, you know, we've got Rem missing, and, and you're not really sure what's going on. And you've got a new kind of antagonist that you need to kind of defeat, and not really. They, they kind of waddled a lot. Uh, part two does pick up the pace quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. but it does not veer away from the central premise of the show in which that he has to suffer a great deal and die for this girl who very honestly doesn't really care but like yeah, yeah. so if, if you love that shit then uh, ReZero is back for the second half of the second season I think mm-hmm. it's worth watching if you manage to survive part one and you want to see some sort of resolution I yeah. don't know if this is going to get any better than it's been. I think like the first season of ReZero, the first couple of episodes really caught people and by the time they were just too invested right. emotionally with all the, you know, beating yourself up and all of that. Um, mm. But yeah, um, ReZero is back. Uh, yet another very, very popular one is uh, season two of that time I got reincarnated as a slime. Yeah. Uh, this season... Uh, they've upped the ante in terms of um, what they're telling with the story. It's a lot less about, you know, um, it, it's a lot less about uh, 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 Rimuru's personal journey and the people around him. Uh, it moves into like uh, nation building and economics and politics and all of that. Uh, this um, this particular arc that they've been going into Climaxes, uh, and no spoilers for nobody who has read the manga or knows what's going on, it climaxes into an incredible face-off against multiple antagonistic parties slash nations uh, wow. who are all out to destroy the nation of Tempest uh, mm. with some amazing and heartbreaking uh, uh, revelations and resolutions. And mm. very, it's still very, very good. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it felt as shonen as season one. It doesn't have the same uh, follow the same kind of like power ups and and, and trajectory. Uh, it's grown into a much more mature series with where they go oh. with season two. 
Um, and um, of course, you know, still plenty of uh, fan service, plenty of of, of hilarious uh, moments and asides and all of that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'm really, really enjoying um, that time I got reincarnated as Slime Season 2. Uh, I think this series right now is is going on strength to strength and I'm really curious to see where they go from here because this is a very, very big arc. Uh, and mm. then it kind of tones down a while in the manga. So we'll see, you know, where how where they choose to end this because we are coming to the end of the arc in the middle of the season. Um, right. And then we will we'll see where they go from there. Right. Awesome. Uh, next up, Dr. Stone, Stone Wars, which is basically season two of Dr. Stone. Uh, we've talked about Dr. Stone. Uh, big fans of uh, this uh, semi-educational... Actually, there's a lot of educational stuff we're talking about this week. Yeah. Semi-educational uh, anime about um, a group of youngsters who who revive into a world that has been encased in stone. Uh, this season focuses on the war between... Uh, uh, that has been brewing for a while now, and whether or not the sci- uh, the nation of science can triumph over you know the brutality of of a, of a perfect stone wall, <coughs> mm. uh, like she shows a <laughs> vision of a stone wall. Uh, it's been interesting. I I feel like there's been a bit less focus on the invention and science side this time round because they do need to do a lot of like uh, plot moving. Uh, right, moving okay. forward and the introduction of like a much wider cast of uh, of um, characters uh, yeah. and of course you know in, in, in typical fashion like having to do flashbacks for each one of them to you know, humanize them and so on and so forth mm-hmm. as is done in most most anime um, but yeah it's, it's fascinating to kind of see how that plays out and how you know the different kind of like little devious machinations of uh, of, of the science side of things go um, midway through hasn't really come to a climax yet um, but yeah if you've enjoyed season 1 of Dr. Stone then season 2 uh, continues the story with the whole gang and it has been very enjoyable since awesome. uh, just a quick touch point on Beastars second season um, if you guys have been listening for a while you'll know that uh, Hitze really loved Beastars because you know Zootopia mm. uh, realized right <laughs> I've, I've not seen Beastars season 2 though. yeah um, it's it's good uh, it it definitely continues to think like everything that's good in season one continues to be good in season two. I do feel like the plot gets a bit messy, um, mm. because there are a lot more things going on right now. Like I think they feel comfortable enough. They feel like the audience is more comfortable with the characters, and for them to kind of like make it a bit more complex, the interpersonal relationships are messier. Is the best mm-hmm. way I would describe it. Um. Uh, as you know, I wasn't that big a fan of Beastars because I felt like it had been done before. Um, yeah. But yeah, I caught I caught the first couple of episodes just to you know get a feel for where they're at at this point in time. Um, yeah, as far as uh, kind of like off kilter rom com dramedies go, like it's it, it's still very good. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, next up, we're gonna talk about Cells at Work second season and Cells at Work Code Black. So I'm not I'm not entirely caught up. Uh, mm-hmm. with both of them at this point in time. Um, you know, but maybe you want to share a bit. I mean, you've been raving about it for a while. Um, mm. Of the two, which do you, Okay, yeah. um, for, for our listeners, right? I, I think we touched upon it in, in an episode or two ago of Behold, where we talked about like the differences, but we'll just run through that. So, Cells yeah. at Work Season 2 is... Well, Cells at Work, right? Season 2. Uh, incredibly enjoyable, educational anime of anthropomorphic cells in your body or anybody's body, really, of a body, a human body, 
um, that basically try to revolve, um, resolve the problems and the day-to-day functionings of bodily processes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly enough, um, the people at uh, the people who make cells at work have decided to release cells at work code black, which is the same concept: anthropomorphic cells doing their trying to do their job, but in a much more darker tone and uh, uh, kind of like a grittier concept, I guess. Um, uh, basically, the body that they inhabit is uh, not well taken care of. You know, uh, smokes and drinks and doesn't sleep and doesn't eat properly. Uh, so every kind of like bodily function that needs to be carried out by these cells uh, are much more dire. You know, they're much mm-hmm. more difficult to accomplish. Uh, that sets up for a lot um, more interesting kind of set pieces as they as they try to resolve those things and basically just try to stay keep keep their human alive, uh, mm-hmm. more or less. Um, the fight scenes are like dramatically more action. Uh, a lot more gory in certain parts as well, which is surprising. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it feels a lot more uh shonen than uh what the original Cells at Work series is. Uh yes. yeah, so it's like you wanna chime in a bit about what you've been enjoying, uh, which one of the two you enjoy a bit more. Sure. Um to differentiate Cells at Work, uh second season is Cells at Work with two exclamation marks. That's how you know what it is. Yeah. Um and Cells at Work Hope Black, obviously the spin-off based on the manga. Uh Cells at Work, the original series, currently in its eighth episode of season two, mm-hmm. remains a very cutesy, very edutainment approach to medical biology in yep. human beings. Um it, it kind of represents a more homeostatic uh, side of things where the body is generally healthy by default but there are vi- various crises and diseases and bacteria that happen from time to time you know you do fall sick once in a while um, that is not the case with cells at work called black where the, the body is in a state of perpetual disres- disrepair I would even say that cells at work called black is a dystopian show um, mm-hmm. a dystopian workplace series whereas <laughs> Um, cells at Work is a utopian workplace series. Um, in Cells at Work, you see that the cells are working hard. We still follow red blood cell and white blood cell, um, and they are gender swapped for, for the spin-off series. But yep. in the main show, it remains very good. Um, most recently, the cancel cell arc uh, is probably the more the darkest Cells at Work main show has ever been. Yep. Uh, and, and it shows that it can do that as well while still retaining a kind of cutesy uh, kiddie charm that, that that is necessary to to entertain uh, I think kids 12 and below mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. as well as educate them about the processes and functions of the body to take better care of themselves yeah. um, it's actually a, still a very very good show and still very informational and medically accurate in terms yeah. of everything that is presenting everything from cancer to flus to 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 gut bacteria which is something like I'm personally um, like you know, <laughs> getting to know um, I mean for, for the longest time I've had like issues with my guts but like I've revamped my diet to 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 you know you know drink more yakult and, and introduce more like good bacteria uh yep. and and i'm seeing it anthropomorphized in its latest arc the, la- the latest three episode arc you know where a white blood cell is trying to protect these good uh bacteria from other mm-hmm. white blood cells who may not be able to differentiate um interestingly enough the latest uh, episode about the cancer cells mm-hmm. is very good because you know they require the killer t-cells to come in take care of the cancer cells but there is a function of the t-cells one part of them called the regulatory t-cells yep. which do not allow white blood cells to attack its own body and thus is, pro- is protecting uh the cancer cells you know a very good way to to teach kids or or, or young adults that 
uh, sometimes the body can turn on itself if it yeah. doesn't know any better. Do you, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, like, with Coke Black, it is extremely adult, extremely violent, uh, extremely gory take on on on, on self at work. Um, primarily yeah. because the body here is probably the body of 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 an adult who doesn't take care of himself. You know, as you mentioned, yeah. smoke drinks, um, suffers from um, kidney stones, erectile dysfunction, liver failure, um, f- uh, you know, like uh, organ failure. Um, every part of the body is fucked up. <laughs> um, and, and, and consequently, you see that the characters in Cells at Work, uh, Code Black, may have begun as happy-go-lucky, as hard-working as the, as the, as the counterparts in Cells at Work body, but yeah. the Code Black body has made them <laughs> To graph violent uh, curmudgeons, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they are angry, they are overly stressed, much like the body is. Um, yeah. They are overworked to the extreme. Each episode is is just you see them fighting against exhaustion. They are working nonstop to keep this body running, um, to with no help from the body's uh, from, from the body himself, like, the person, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, nothing has inspired me to to lead a healthier lifestyle than sex at work, cold black, which is, I guess the point, you know. Mm-hmm, um, Coke Black really inspired me to maybe cut down on smoking, cut down on drinking, um, sleep more, <laughs> yeah. be not as stressed because, you know, these poor cells in my body are having a hard time oh, yeah, trying to cope myself, you know. One particular episode, but I mean, it's not the best episode, but probably the most famous of Coke Black yeah. deals with erectile right dysfunction, you know, just by the yeah. nature of it. It, 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 it made a lot of headlines. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just the, the idea of these, like, millions of cells in your body, the red blood cells, trying their best to give this poor guy an erection. Uh, and then <laughs> subsequently realizing that the guy was just, like, probably just jerking off and it's not for procreation. Yeah. It, 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 it feels so sad. La. It feels so sad. It feels so... I mean, it's amazing, don't get me wrong, at, at, yeah. at the music. But at the end of the day, it's, just <laughs> very, it's a very sad episode. Um, yeah. one, one is fluffy and friendly and pleasant. The other is is, is is gruff and violent and gory. It is it is the difference between reading or uh, between X Men and X Force. It's it's this mm. kind of like, that's a the, good the that's a good comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and you know, like so, Code Black. There are other stuff too. There are not as many white blood cells, not as many red blood cells. You know, well, obviously yeah. because you know the body just can't produce as much. So, yeah, it's it's just it's tough to watch cells at work. It's always tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Code Black really caught me off guard. Like, I, I think the moment for me was in the first episode where they show yeah. the uh, the Padlands <laughs> who are so cute in the original one and mm-hmm. they're just like these like completely like oh, like psycho-eyed um, psycho-eyed like little chibi characters. Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. just like, oh, they're not messing around this time. Like, they're completely putting putting the, the tone on its head. Mm. Um, but yes, Cells at Work Season 2 and Cells at Work Code Black, both equally good in their own way, both educational in different ways. Um, I, I personally like really like what they did with Code Black. Uh, I think like it's a bit more, it's a bit closer to like uh, my situation with my body and I'm learning quite a bit from that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, so, I mean, you know, as adults, we really don't take care as good of body as we should. Mm. Uh, you know, so it has definitely been very educational in a very different way, but no yeah. less educational for sure. It's a it's yeah. a creative way to interpret the realities of the body in a form of this anthropomorphic factory town, shall we say? Mm. Uh, mm. Very, very great. Both are very different. Um, my 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 first boss, my first editor at at a website called uh, um, 
insync.com yeah. uh deborah deborah gem uh shouts out if you're listening um it has a two-year-old two i think she oh no she's four by now okay she's a mm. four-year-old girl who loves sales at work um she oh, shows that's her amazing on, she shows her on on, on netflix uh, like she she yeah. got sales at from my recommendations from like uh, my pot wire article so uh-huh. she messaged me on twitter saying that like uh, her do- her daughter loves cells at work should she watch cells at work code black to which i would definitely say no <laughs> no no if it's not cells at work do not ever let them watch code black until they're yeah. maybe like 16 uh, at, at yeah. least uh, yeah. yeah minimum yeah. minimum like that's way way too early to be exposing them yeah. to that yeah cells at work code black is for us cells at yeah. work is yeah yeah it's amazing that a franchise can can do both right uh mm. yeah it, it, it's a very rare thing let's Indeed, just put it yeah. that way yeah. yeah so next up and the last of kind of like the big returning series this time around that i'm going to talk about uh is the promised Lebanon season two which we kind of teased a bit on uh in hitze's um review of that for quick hits uh the action live action movie live action film yes yeah, yeah so I, as i was saying like i've got a bit to talk about this right like super hyped for uh to join emma ray and, and the rest of the gang um you know on on their journey to kind of escape from from this dystopian world that they're living in uh however um mm-hmm. okay let me just let me just go where, where the story is at so emma ray and the rest of the older children are now have now escaped uh, Grace Fieldhouse, right? Uh, but the demons is, uh, are relentless and set on capturing them and, and you know, um, they are continuing to try and, and, and keep their freedom, that they, the hard-won freedom that they've already on, right? right. Um, now they're in the wilderness. The children can try to remain optimistic, right? Because they have um, the possession of books uh, um, which, which kind of like ease their way into like the, the survival and, and, and keep their hopes up. Um and coded within these books, which you will find out um, as, as the series progresses, you know, uh, are messages like detailing the outside world and how to get there, uh, you know. And so that has just basically been what the kids have been doing uh, as they're trying to survive um, this nightmare that they find themselves born into. Mm. Um, where the series is at now, right? I think it's about episode four, episode five. Um right. I just like there. It, it felt like there was a sudden shift in terms of where the story was going, right? Like oh, the pacing okay. kind of changed, and like suddenly, all of a sudden, right? Uh, like they get reunited with Norm, the Norman, mm. off screen. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Out of nowhere, and I'm just like, are you serious? Like it's so out of character for mm. the people at, that that are doing uh, Promise Neverland to do that. Uh, and I was curious, like, like what was going on. So lo and behold, um, as as always, if you want to know if if something is a miss, you know, just go to my anime list and and look at the comment section. Uh, I don't yeah. recommend that on a daily basis, but once in a while, if you feel something's wrong, that's where <laughs> you should go. And uh, it turns out because I haven't been reading the manga, right? That there is an entire missing arc called the Goldie Pawn arc, right? Oh, wow. um, and this arc comes shortly after Emma and the family. Uh, escape from the orphanage. Uh, there's a lot of like dark storytelling. Um, uh, there's a lot of like details in that and new characters that appear in that that set up for their reunion with Norman oh. later on, and they completely skipped all of it. Like it's a fairly long arc. What's um, the reason? I I don't know. Right? Like the 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 studio has not responded. Um. To, to anything that the, the strange thing is that 
it was the studio did say that season two would contain some original material mm. with approved from the manga, uh, the mangaka. Uh, but we haven't seen any of that, right? And I really, really don't hope like the shortcut one and a half episodes where they try to merge, like skip an arc and merge the thing together. Yeah, uh, is considered what they consider kind of original things. So, like first half really good. Um, the world building continues to be kind of amazing. Uh, the voice acting by the kids are continue to be amazing, and then all of a sudden, like it changes, and like it's hard to watch now, right? I I personally have decided to go and read the Goldie Pond arc. I'm not done with it yet, and I'm not gonna give any spoilers for that. But okay. I completely understand why a lot of fans are not happy. Uh, mm. with the way that it's turn, turned out because it really does seem very pivotal to the story uh, mm. and I'm not sure why they decided I mean it's it is it's not filler it's like a side quest more or less right but it's right. still extremely important for many of the characters to kind of flesh out their growth um, uh-huh. and, and as well as skipping out some of the world building points which they only kind of barely cover uh, in the uh, anime itself so uh, Promise Neverland, Neverland season two, uh, half good. I'm half not good. really sure after this discovery and starting to to catch up on the manga as well, whether oh. or not it's going to resolve itself well. Like really, like just honestly, like meeting up with Norman was like a big part of of how this was supposed to play out, right? And then for yep. it to be. Yeah, for it to be like out of nowhere like that is just kind of like disappointing, you know. Um, because yeah. prior to that, it was really good. Yeah, I, but I, I I can see the angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like um, for fans who are who've been looking forward to this, it, it's still good. Don't get me wrong. It's just I don't know. I feel like they kind of made a mistake, right? Like it, I'm usually far from being the one who who likes to kind of like hop on the fandom bandwagon to to complain about things uh but mm-hmm. in this case i do feel like it's reasonable for them to hold that opinion uh i do think that promise neverland as anime is still going to be very good going to the future there's still tons of story for them to to adapt from um uh, but I, i'm not i'm not really sure if it was the right decision this time around mm, yeah agreed. yeah all right so that <laughs> wow that's a lot uh yeah so yeah. For, that's it for returning series i'm i'm going to talk very quickly about two returning anime uh, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, quite a number of years ago. The first one I'm going to talk about is World Trigger, right? Okay. Uh, and the premise of the story is that uh, a, a gate to another world opens uh, suddenly on Earth and Mikado City is invaded by these strange creatures um, known only as neighbors, right? They come in all sh- shapes and sizes and they're... Um, these beings, alien beings who are impervious to kind of traditional weaponry. Uh, an organization is set up called the Border Defense Agency uh, to combat the problem of the neighbors uh, through these special weapons called triggers, which are powered by this new resource that is discovered called Trion, right? Okay. Uh, and that's kind of like the setting for the story. Uh, it's a very, very small kind of peek into the world building that they're doing. Um, we follow Osamu, uh, Osamu Mikomu, who is a, just a regular kind of like nerdy kid who gets caught up um, with a deactivated neighbor, right? And a strange boy who he's never seen before in his small neighborhood comes to save him. 
uh, that sparks off a friendship that eventually sees them joining Border as mm. trainees. Uh, and in and wow, there's actually a lot of stuff to spoil. Okay, uh, yeah. So they join borders as trainees, uh, training agents, and uh, basically the um the two seasons that we are gonna get, or rather the second season that we are now, basically um uh, journals their journey uh towards resolving some of the. <laughs> Some, yeah. Some of the mysteries uh, that that surround like the neighbors and and why the world is the way it is right now, right? right. Um, so World Trigger came out in two thousand and fourteen. It ran for seventy episodes, seventy three episodes, right? Uh, mm-hmm. so it's been uh, two thousand sixteen. Uh, it's been six years, and uh, we finally got a season two. It picks up directly where the old season left off. Um. The world building continues to be amazing, uh, but the animation and the soundtrack have improved tremendously. I think mm-hmm. with you know how much technology has improved for animators since uh, since that time, uh, it continues to be like this really really solid thing. Um, the problem is is that because there's so much that I haven't talked about about World Trigger before, like seventy three episodes is a lot of stuff to kind of like cover without spoiling. Uh, there's a fair yeah. amount of yeah. There's a lot of arcs with a lot of like cliffhangers and twists and turns and reveals that deepen um the law of the the story itself that I can't get into um without spoiling stuff and which also results in me not being able to talk about the second season almost in its entirety because of oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that that's a bit of a problem. Uh, but. On a, a very honestly, World Trigger was one of my favorite when it came out in 2014. I followed it religiously until um, the end of uh, 73 episodes. I uh, was super happy that it just came back. It was a surprise to me, actually. Like It kind of came out of the blue. I'm very happy to say that the six or so episodes that we're in right now, like I went back to go and rewatch, um, you know, some of the later episodes just so I could refresh my memory because it's been such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it's better. It really, really is. Like, the animation is smoother. The fight scenes feel more dynamic. Uh, the colors seem a bit more vibrant. I think they, they changed up the palette a bit. Uh, the voice acting seems clearer and all of that. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, like, streaming nowadays is, like, so much better. Or, you know, just technology kind of catching up. Uh, catching up. Uh, I yeah. do like the fact that they didn't do a time skip and all of that. Because, very honestly, when it ended, like, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere which was disappointing to a lot of fans um, yep. so now that they're coming back in and they're resolving a lot of these questions that have hung over fans for six years uh, like yeah it's getting exciting again so World Trigger has a very very interesting sci-fi world building the concepts that they kind of explore and the the huge um, ensemble cast uh, is, is really really good like I honestly like how detailed they go into the side characters and their backstories and their motivations and all of that is comparable to like Assassination Classroom, which which is high praise, you know. Um, mm. So like uh, all the all them them have these like very unique kind of like complex powers, and it's not just about how strong you are or how quick you are or how clever you are. Like there's a combination of a lot of these factors like add up together. Uh, the technology that they kind of like um, have created in this world is inter- interesting. So I highly recommend World Trigger. I'm sorry that I can't 
uh, elucidate a bit more about what it's about, but it's very hard to do so without spoiling like many, many, many episodes worth of material. So, uh, yeah. safe to say that I'm very happy that World Trigger is back. Uh, I've been enjoying the new season uh, as an old fan. And uh, if you are looking for something, you know, sci-fi, ba- uh, sci-fi slash shonen stuff um, with, with strong themes about like friendship and teamwork, um, I would really uh, suggest you start on this because you can binge 73 episodes even before you get into the new season, which uh, I oh, think cool. some people are looking forward to. Okay. Yeah. The other returning old anime that I would like to talk about is Log Horizon Season 3. Now, Log Horizon uh, is one of those... Okay. Log Horizon came around, came out around the time as Sword Art Online. And it suffered from the problem that it was a very similar concept about people getting trapped in a game. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, they took a very, very different route from, from SAO. Um, and, and, you know, like, okay, I'll just, I'll just read the synopsis, right, to give, let you give you an idea. Like, in the blink of an eye, 30,000 bewildered Japanese gamers are whisked away from their everyday lives into the world of popular MMORPG Elder Tale. After their mm-hmm. game's latest update and unable to log out, uh, among them is our protagonist, a socially awkward college student called Shiro, whose confusion and shock last only for a second as a veteran of the game, uh, the party, he is, um, he is attacked and he realizes that, you know, in order to survive, he's got to get his shit together. Yeah. Um, Shiro navigates this new world in a very different way from what <laughs> they do in SAO uh, because he realizes that this game, being the real world for him now, uh, requires you to do more than just fight. You must find a way to feed yourself and your people around you and build up a society so that you know you don't all get wiped out by the monsters that are invading. Um, Log Horizon has been one of my favorite of this particular genre. Not to say that SEO is bad. Okay. It's just very, very different because of its um, decision to focus on other parts than combat. Right, much in the same way that Spice and Wolf looked a lot of, of trading and economics, or mm, like yeah. Mao Hero looks a lot at politics and economics. Um, there is a lot of that within Log Horizon, right? Like you talk about, you know, what makes a party good, what is the interpersonal relationships there, what uh do what happens behind the scenes in trying to build a guild, you know, how, what do you need, what does it take to run a a city, um that's made up of both adventurers who are these completely like overpowered godlike beings um, of which you are one of and these NPC-like characters that the, called the people of the land who for all intents and purposes in this new world are just normal everyday human beings, right? Okay. Um, you know, and so there's some tension in that as well. Uh, in fact, in the first season, like a big part of um, the, the conflict and resolution has to do with the tension between adventurers and, and the people of the land. Uh, and that continues to play out over kind of two seasons. And interspersed between all these, you have these adventures into into uh, these dungeons and these raids with all these quests um, that still function very much like the game itself. But the consequence of failing in this world is not, you know, like a, a respawn timer. Well, there is a respawn timer, but like there's there's more cost to it than what the original uh, game allowed them to. So, right, okay. Yeah. Um, Log Horizon Season 3 is called The uh, the Destruction of the Round Table, uh, which is something that was created in Season 2. Um, it is far more about politics 
here than any sort of like action and combat, which we got a lot, a fair bit of in season one and season two. The first four episodes are fairly difficult to get into if you haven't watched the last two uh, seasons. Um, But it picks up. It really, really does pick up. And I have to say that like, I'm so glad it's been seven years since season two has been out. Um, They're picking up where they left off with no lack of attention to detail than they did before. Um, and kind of like to be able to hit the ground running like that, like they don't they don't feel the need to like re-immerse you in the world, right? You want them to watch, go watch the first two seasons, come back and see what we're doing here, right? Uh, it's, it's pretty bold. And I do feel like, I mean, some fans are a bit turned off by that, right? Because the it, it's gotten fairly serious and fairly complex in terms of the political side of things. Um and uh, you know the, just the inclusion of like the greater Yamato region which is the world that they're living in right now uh, instead of just focusing on Shiro and his companions uh, which was kind of the easier breezier part of it yeah so highly recommend uh, Lock Horizon Season 3 um, please go ahead and binge I think it's like 36 episodes for Season 1 and 2 uh, oh, okay. combined um, there was one 24, epi- uh, 24 episode season and one 12 episode season uh, mm. And then you can kind of like dive in into Long Horizon Season Two. Uh, this is one of my favorite enemies of this particular genre, uh, nice. and uh, um, really excited to share with people. Finally, like proper proper formal introduction. Again, awesome. I can't I can't reveal too much um, without spoiling stuff, uh, mm-hmm. but I promise you it's worth your time. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm gonna kind of breeze through. Um, the new anime recommendations that I have and the top one that I have right now, I'll, I'll go in order of things that I find really good. It's called oh, Wonder oh. Egg Priority. <laughs> mm, okay. Uh, if the name sounds very familiar, I, I, and I, I, I don't know if it, um, if it has any kind of resemblance, there is a distinctly Haruki Murakami hardboiled Wonderland tone to this anime. Okay. For some reason, right? As far as I know, there is all, it's of no relation, uh, but interestingly uh-huh. enough, right? Um, so basically, following the suicide of her best and only friend, uh, Koito Nagase, Ai Oto, who's our protagonist, is left grappling with a new reality. She feels like there's nothing left to live for. And um, she bumps into a mysterious entity and gets roped into purchasing an egg, or, or uh, which turns out to be a wonder egg, hence the name um, hmm. of the series. Upon breaking the egg, uh, in a world that materializes while she sleeps, I is tasked with saving people from different difficulties and adversities that come their way. And in doing so, she starts to believe that she's moved one step closer to saving her best friend. Oh, uh, it is a dangerous and tempting opportunity. Uh, and I enters a place where she must recognize the relationship between um, uh, her own demons, uh, other people's demons and her own demons, right? Um mm-hmm as past trauma and un- unforgettable regrets and innate fears uh, hatch in this bizarre world of Wonder Egg Priority, uh, I discovers the different inner struggles to mentioning humankind and rescues them from their worst fears. Uh, this is an art house of an anime series. It is gorgeous. The voice acting is great. Uh, the animation is beautiful. The music is on point. Uh, nice. It is... Uh, it is as close to magical realism as we're going to get um, mm. for the slice of life scenes. And then when you dive into the fantasy world, like it's a trip. It's a total trip. Uh, I really, really love the artwork. Um, 
this is by Cloverworks, by the way, who are on a rampage this season because they're also the people that are doing Prophets Neverland. They're also yeah. the people who are doing uh, uh, the next one that I'll be talking about as well. Um, so, like, kudos to Horrorworks. Like, Wonder Egg Priority caught me completely off guard. When I first read the synopsis, the, the a much a shorter synopsis uh, before the season began, I was like, uh, I'm not really sure if I want to catch this. I got hooked like three episodes in. Oh, wow. uh, I think that um, as it stands right now, this has uh, it has the potential to be A tier like by the time it's done, right? If not S tier. Mm, uh, so okay. like, I highly recommend Wonder Egg Priority if you are a fan of, you know, like your Kimi no Naiwa, I mean, I mean your name, you know, um, or like Alice Evergarden, Mm. <clears throat> um, standard of animation like this is definitely for you amazing stuff mm. yeah Got every of like a, a silent voice a bit also yeah 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 actually yeah. The, the art style is very similar to a silent voice um, okay the music reminds me of a lot of the soundtracks from a silent voice very very good stuff uh, completely cool. caught me off guard like like it, it didn't really feel like much like the poster didn't really show me anything the synopsis was kind of like you know it's it's not something that hasn't been been done before right but mm. damn like it's really really good I, I'm like honestly I want to see where this goes like it could reach like Bakimono Tagari levels wow um, okay. so yeah we'll see like obviously like we've gotten a lot of great shonen stuff Jujutsu Kaisen and Demon Slayer and My Hero Academia uh, we haven't really seen this sort of like more indie kind of art house vibes anime in mm -hmm. a quite some time um, so, mm -hmm. so this has got me like super excited to see how it does Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um. For people who are more into slice of life and um rom coms, uh, also by Cloverworks, I would like to recommend, uh, Horimiya, which is uh very simple. It's one of those rom com that manages to do what I I think a lot of uh, anime rom coms can't. Uh, it has the atmosphere of a rom com, but it keeps it it very easily keeps you engaged with the drama. And makes you very, very quick to be invested in the characters and their relationship. Uh, basically, we follow two characters, uh, Kyoko Hori and uh, Izumi Miura, uh, Miyu <coughs> Miyamura, uh, are, are two students who are hiding secret parts of themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. The very social Kyoko um, actually has very little life because she she's busy with housework and taking care of her little kids. The extremely reserved uh, Izumi. Uh, is is taken for like a, a bookish kind of nerd, but he actually uh, has been hiding his uh, tattoos and his piercings from his friends just because he's extremely uh, he has social anxiety um, oh. due to due to some things that happen as always, right? They have kind of like a meet cute that results in them starting to spend a lot more time with each other, and they grow to learn about each other's secret selves um, right. that has greater. Um, implications for not just um, their relationship with each other but also their greater friend group within the school and the class itself um, uh, they are completely opposite from one another um, but they make fast friends and slowly they learn that they have to learn to come and they help each other to come to learn how to accept themselves uh, and, and the differences in each other uh, it's a very heartwarming very well written touching story that doesn't you know doesn't mince um the difficulties of kind of like growing up and living uh double lives because of the expectations of society around you 
Um, mm. Solid stuff. Uh, I mean, not in the same league as Wonder Egg Priority, I think, but like as far as rom-com stuff goes, Slice of Life stuff this season, uh, my, my top recommendation for that genre. Hey, great. For sure. Okay. Uh, and then I'm gonna go. I'm gonna dip into uh, three kind of like honorable mentions, kind of my guilty pleasure watches. Uh, okay. For fans of the isekai genre, the two I'm gonna talk about is uh, Jobless Reincarnation or uh, Mushoku Tensei. Um, yeah, basically, 34 year old Neat who's uh, uh, been wasting like the majority of his life away after suffering from intense trauma from being bullied in high school, um, gets hit by a truck kun. Uh, ported okay. to another world uh, where he retains all of his old memories even as a child uh, discovers that this world has magic and because of that you know uh, that he is innately uh, he is innately gifted as all isekai protagonists are well most of them ah. at least uh, okay. what's interesting about this is that his new life and he uh, his attempt to redo his life this time around uh, helps him to overcome a lot of the uh, trauma that he has experienced before, right? Like um, his, his agoraphobia, his inability to leave the house, uh, his mm. inability to socialize with uh, members of the opposite sex, his inability to believe in, in his uh, innate capabilities and all of that. All of that gets like slowly kind of resolved with the small interactions that he has with his family and the people around him. Uh, and as his ability to wield magic grows, so does his ambition um, to be better in this world than he was before. Um, that aspect of it is touching, but it is a hilariously funny look because he's, I mean, he's a 34-year-old, uh, you know, Hikikomori who who is, you know, uh, been put into a world with like elf girls and, you know, beast girls and all of that. So, you know, it's mm. got plenty of the fan service that you expect from that. Everyone, uh, is kind of taken aback at this like eight-year-old child's extremely witty and sarcastic kind of retorts. Um, very, very funny. Uh, and overall, like it's just an easy kind of watch for people who are looking for some isekai stuff to do. Sweet. In the same vein uh, for isekai stuff uh, is So I'm a Spider, So What? Uh, I actually discovered this some time ago because I was reading uh, the manga and I didn't really uh, get anywhere far with it. Uh, just because it, the manga was fairly wordy. Uh, but if you enjoy uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime, right, you're going to really enjoy this. Essentially, it's the exact same concept, but instead of being a slime, our protagonist is a spider. Oh. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's it's quite funny. Yeah. So the usual thing, high school class gets like destroyed catastrophically and all of them get transported into... Another world where there's magic and monsters and all of that jazz. Um, the quietest girl in the class is not so lucky because she doesn't, you know, reincarnate as a noble or, or a high priestess or anything of the sort. Uh, mm -hmm. She reincarnates as the weakest form of spider in a dungeon. Wow. Uh, and she, uh, it's non-stop like hardship and suffering from there and she slowly has to use her wits to navigate this strange world where there's like an RPG level up system uh, and uh, she has absolutely no idea how she's going to go on. She finally ac eventually accepts the fact that this is her life right now and that she's a spider and she kind of rolls with it and that's where it okay. gets like really comedically like hilarious. 
Um, if you enjoyed Slime, this is a very kind of different take on a similar premise. Uh, a lot more about you. It focuses a lot more about her journey and her growth, uh, instead of like you know the typical <clears throat> training montage that we get a lot of times. Um, right. Yeah, this is a kind of a guilty pleasure because it's so silly. Um, all the spider-related powers are just ridiculous. And then, like, kind of as a subplot to this is what her classmates are doing in in this new fantasy world. Like, they're all, like, super-powered and, like, well-placed in society and all that jazz as would most isekai protagonists. So she's on the losing end of things. That part is interesting and it sets up the context for the story later on uh, as far Mm -hmm. as I can tell from the manga. But that's not the part that's enjoyable. The enjoyable part is just, like, her coming up against like all these monsters that are way more powerful than her and she somehow or another like pulls off like victories from that you know hmm. um and like the this they have these like really really long uh monologues where she basically has to go through the process of deciding what to power up instead of the other thing and like it all has like hilarious outcomes to it um regardless of what she chooses uh and that for me is 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 enjoyable because, you know, I mean, if you're any sort of serious gamer, I think that's something that you've gone through before. Right? Uh, okay, yeah. last two. Uh, oh, my God. That's a very long episode. Okay. Uh, bottom tier character, yeah. Tomozaki. Basically, uh, Fumiya Tomozaki is Japan's best player at, uh, at a fighting game called uh, TechFam. Um, mm-hmm. He holds a revered title, but he is completely no social skills. Uh, and cause him to kind of fall short in his everyday life in school. Uh, he doesn't have any friends, and he base he basically sees real life as a shit game, essentially, right? So the oh, game right. that he's great at, uh, with and justifiably so, is is a god tier game. But he decides that life is a shit game because the rules constantly change, and that characters like him have no chance. So he's a bottom tier character. Uh, there's no chance of him becoming the best, right? Uh, he has a fateful meeting with um, the second place uh, tech fan player, right? Who, who's been catching up to him over the years. And he's shocked to find out that it is actually one of the most popular girls in his class slash his school uh, oh. who tells him, who challenges him and says like, look, if you can do well in tech fam, I'm here to challenge you and tell you that life is a God tier game. And I'm going to show you how. So that starts their relationship whereby she breaks down how he can start to game his life Mm -hmm. uh, and his social uh, relationships with other people um, to overcome the social awkwardness that he has. Uh, It's incredibly funny. Like, it's not as deep as it necessarily sounds. uh, But it's it's fun to kind of watch someone overcome um, their social anxiety and their ability to relate with other people through a form of gamification, which was something that I did for five years as a job, uh, yeah. to see that and applied in an anime concept like this has been incredibly fun. Uh, nice. It's it's okay. nothing it's nothing very deep again, but like I've been enjoying this a lot um, just to see the way that they approach it and like you feel you feel a sense of like uh, there's a thrill every time he overcomes a quest that he's been given by this girl, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he starts to the realization dawns on him that, you know, there are some universal principles of success that can be applied in any situation. Uh, yeah. And gamification is one way to do that. So just kind of like a, a very personal personal um, experience for me to see that uh, come to life. 
Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. The last one. Extremely silly. Uh, one of my favorite this season, actually. It's called Heaven's Design Team. Concept mm-hmm. is very simple. What if God decided to outsource the design of all the animals in the animal kingdom to a design agency? That's the okay. whole concept, right? Uh, it's this very strange kind of supernatural thing where uh, angels come down to give uh, the client brief, the client being God, uh, to yep. these extremely talented uh, artists who have to fulfill the most uh, insane, inane requests from God uh, to create these animals uh, with all these extremely vague kind of like approval processes. Um, it really, really uh-huh. functions like a workplace comedy. Uh, if you yeah. work in an ad agency or a design agency, like this really hits host, uh, close to home. Uh, yeah. And it's extremely fun. Uh, and in addition to that, it's quite educational as well. Like how they get to designing the animals is totally re- nonsense, right? But they have these portions where they do say, uh, they do break down like, you know, um, uh, uh, this is how a platypus is. It's not exactly how they designed it, but, you know, these are the features of a platypus and what makes it unique. Uh, so uh-huh. there are little segues to that, which I think are extremely educational as well. Found out a lot of things about exotic animals that I don't know, or even just like animals in general, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really, really funny, uh, easy, breezy kind of watch. And uh, yeah, like uh, interesting workplace comedy with an interesting premise. I got a question for the design. I'm assuming that this takes place before the Earth, right? Okay, so they don't actually uh, address that ah, at any because, kind of like they are humans. But humans come after some... I don't know, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if what the world is like. Okay. There are two established angels which are like kind of like the... the They're the suits, right? There are two suits. They are yeah. angels. There's God who yeah. is, uh, you know, the client, essentially. Yeah. You don't yeah. actually know if the designers are human. Oh. You know that they are not... You know that they are not angels, right? Mm. You assume they are human, but as you have rightly surmised, if you assume they are human... And we go with your typical kind of like Abrahamic Genesis story, then yeah. it becomes a problem, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you got to take that part with a kind of a pinch of salt. But at no point in time do they actually state that they're human. Uh, the characters are really quite something. Um, they mm-hmm. all have their like different strengths. There's a there's like a senior designer who's uh, one kind of like prize. Um, a prize design was the horse. Like he won a lot of accolades for that. Uh, and he just try keeps trying to make variations of the horse. There's a ton mm. of running jokes about that. That's in like every episode. There's one girl who's like your typical like uh, you know the creepier it is the cuter it is. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, and like it 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 also deals with all these like uh, why is it that these mythical creatures were designed for but were never approved as well? And all those mm. are incredibly funny. Interesting. Uh, okay, so so they may not be humans. Uh, perhaps in like a season finale, they're so exhausted that they design humans after themselves. Could be an idea. Sounds like a good show, particularly if you've dealt with clients who all think that they're god. Oh my god! Like yeah, seriously. Like the client briefs right are pretty fucking ridiculous, and they're. It's like oh, I've had something like that before. Yeah, and like they're just all, all, all clients think that all clients think that they're god. So yeah, this is a perfect show for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, it hasn't gotten, like, great ratings or anything on, on any of the anime review sites, but I've really mm. been enjoying it because it's so silly. Nice. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, awesome. so that's all I have for my anime corner. Uh, as Hidze warned you before, that was a pretty stacked one. Uh, but yeah. just because like a, a ton of stuff is coming out after being delayed for a while with all the COVID mm-hmm. situations, um, it is the I, I, as far as I can remember, this is probably the most stacked winter season that we've seen in a long, 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 long time. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, it, it it's good. It, it makes up for the the thin anime corner that we gave you a, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, the fall season was pretty bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, a ton of stuff. Uh, again, we will uh, we'll be having we'll be listing the names and stuff if you guys want as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you guys can can go check that out. Again, um, all of these can be found. Well, some can be found on Netflix, uh, especially the more popular ones. <clears throat> uh, you, again, you can find it on Funimation, a Crunchyroll, or your anime streaming service of choice. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and we will be back this in the next few weeks with two more episodes of Behold yep. and of course uh, the next episode of Genre Equality Genre Equality 40 um, okay so the next episode of Behold will be delving into <laughs> documentary comedies uh, yeah. we'll be talking about Nathan for You How to with John Wilson and Magic for Humans mm-hmm. just to show you that Sasha Baron Cohen does not have a mon- monopoly on a genre <laughs> I, I know he has popularized the genre but there are other creators out there that are kind of taking it in different, weirder, more esoteric directions that yep. are not so in your face. Uh, then we'll be talking about uh, movies that focus on characters that blur fiction and reality for art. Uh, mm-hmm. This has happened before. Um, and, and a surprisingly common genre. Apparently, creators like to... Only creators like to talk about creative problems. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, th- the titles we are discussing are Adaptation, Madeline's Madeline, Birdman, and Perfect Blue. And mm-hmm. next month's genre... Big one, big, big one. We got Godzilla versus Kong. Yep. Uh, the rematch of the century. They haven't fought in 70 years since the <laughs> 1940s movie. Uh, excited to see this rematch. I believe Kong won the first one. Can Godzilla yeah. avenge his loss? We shall see. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. All four hours of it debuting on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, Raya and the Last Dragon coming out in a few days' time, actually, on yep. both theaters and Disney+, Plus, which is now available in Singapore. Plus, we have the new seasons of Solar Opposites. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chaos Walking. After four years of delays, Tom Holland's much bena- uh, much like delayed movie, <laughs> Chaos Walking, is finally coming out. Uh, we got uh, other stuff. Uh, boss Level, Resident Alien, Pacific Rim, the Black, the spin-off of Pacific Rim uh, is an enemy on Netflix also coming yep. out. Uh, speaking of enemies on Netflix, Dota, Dragon's Blood also comes out in March. Mm. I'll be talking about that. Uh, plus The Irregulars, which looks like a really terrible take on Sherlock Holmes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. yeah. Uh, that, that, that will be for next month's genre and equality. Uh, anything else you'd like to add before we cap it off? No, no. There's a, I, I'm glad like uh, things are kind of ramping back up again. Yeah. yeah, we've had some pretty lean months uh, in, in the last year or so. So it, it's good to see, you know, things getting moving again. Indeed, you know, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and Godzilla vs. Kong obviously going to be our two main yeah. topics next month. Uh, highly doubt any of them are going to be like, you know, Oscar masterpieces, but seems like they will be fun. Well, and, uh, Godzilla, yeah. Yeah, Godzilla vs. Kong looks like it's fun. Yeah. yeah, kaiju stuff was always fun, right? Like, we mm-hmm. don't have to take it too seriously. Unlike DC, um, we, we, yeah, mm. we'll see it. I don't know how mm. I'm going to do four hours and 21 minutes in any sort of reasonable sitting. No, I think of it as a show. Lah. 
I have a f- I, yeah maybe maybe I have a feeling I might drop out somewhere but we'll, we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes give them the benefit of the doubt indeed indeed uh, I actually I mean side note I actually had recently had a dream about Godzilla versus Kong really if you do not fall if you don't follow MMA, uh, two of the most famous MMA analysts out there on ESPN, Errol Hawani and Luke Thomas on CBS, they frequently break down MMA bouts uh, talking about the strengths and weaknesses, the technical deficiencies and the technical strengths of each opponent. Yeah. Uh, that's only there for MMA nerds, uh, which, which I am. I, I watch it religiously. It's basically what I watch to go to sleep. You yeah. know, it's a bit of my ASMR. So it kind of weaved into the Godzilla vs. Kong trailer where they were, where they were observing uh, some of the strengths and weaknesses of each, breaking it down <laughs> MMA style, you know. So yeah. they were showing this, this this clip from the previous Godzilla movie, which I firm, firmly remember Godzilla was taking on. Uh, who's the three-headed uh, creature? Ghidorah, right? Ghidorah, yeah. Yeah, so Godzilla, Godzilla was just standing still. He, he threw out his, his fire blast, his atomic blast at Ghidorah. Ghidorah moved his three hits. Fire blast missed. Uh, Ghidorah's uh, third hit, you know, bent over to the side at an angle, cut an angle, hit a, a, a counter fire blast at Godzilla. So, I mean, you know, the, they, they were breaking down the lack of head movement of Godzilla, which is worrying, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and Godzilla's, you know, obviously opposable thumbs are, are, are a big <laughs> issue. And yeah. Stuff like that. Like, it made me want to really just, like, do an ESPN-style breakdown of the strengths and weaknesses because it sounds like fun. Oh, dude, that would be insane. Like, it, there is a lot of stuff that you could possibly do with that, right? Like, kaiju mm-hmm. fights, mm-hmm. Uh, y- yeah, anime fights, and all of that. That would be I mean, really if, that'd be an interesting series, for sure. If you saw the trailer, which I'm sure you all have, it's one of the most watched trailers of all time, you know, yep. got, uh, King Kong's wild punch to Godzilla, the lack of head movement is there. It's a big mm-hmm. issue for Godzilla, and I wonder how he's going to, you know, counteract it. And he looks a bit fat. It looks like his training camp isn't going well. Yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, new, this new Godzilla is a little, you know, thick. Uh, it's a little around. chunky. I, yeah, I remember, like, there's this whole controversy about people body shaming him, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was yeah. a big problem. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, obviously, a classic reborn um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. My bets are on Godzilla this time around, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, interestingly, if you watch the Japanese trailer, you can see Godzilla kicking ass, and we watch the American trailer, Kong is kicking ass because obviously Kong, honorary New Yorker. I know he's from Skull Island, but he's yeah. been accepted. Yorker, Godzilla is Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the, in the Japanese trailer, Godzilla is kicking ass. Kong is getting beaten up. And on the flip side, Kong is kicking Godzilla's ass in the American trailer. So I see a little US versus Japan thing going on. <laughs> well, I mean, like, why not milk that, right? Like, might as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're psyched for that. Uh, I'm actually surprisingly psyched for Godzilla versus Kong. I know it's not going to be, like, you know, great or anything, but it it's looks fine. like fun time. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. uh, honestly... This monster monster universe that they've been trying to create for a while now, it has mm-hmm. potential. I mean, like it's not, not going to be anything deep or great or like life changing, uh, yeah. but it's going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to it. Definitely, man. Until next time, uh, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Aisha. Uh Catch us on SGCR or on Genre Equality on Facebook or on Mixcloud. Bye, bye, guys. Yeah.